on episode 76 of Pixel Guide N. Do you even convention, bro? Are good retro deals still a thing? Cody introduces news of the weird. Tim talks about an Amiga meetup. And Eric talks more community gems. The boys discuss six good FPSs. There may be new life for the virtual boy? Eric mods a Saturn up the wazoo. And we have to talk Nintendo Direct. Mr. Eric Nelson, how are you doing on episode 76 of Pixel Guide N? Cody Hoffman, I'm doing great. <laughs> that is good I'm, to hear. I am doing really well. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about milestones here on our, on our little, little show that we have here. And, you know, I consider milestones like uh, when we split the show in half uh, because, you know, we wanted to make each episode a little bit smaller. And when Tim came on board and gave us some European class, Heck yeah, you um, did. That was a good milestone. And then when we got a sponsor, you know, Retro Rewind, um, that was great, right? But now we reach another milestone. Really? And I am completely not privy to what you're about to say, so I'm very excited. You have me. Yeah. You have me at, with bated breath. Just the other day, mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. received a request to be sponsored by Manscaped. Manscaped! <laughs> what? Now, don't worry, listeners. We're not doing that. <laughs> we're gonna keep. We're gonna keep. That would be the wrong path for the show. But it is a milestone when they reach out to us asking if we would advertise for their product. And if you don't know what Manscaped is, it might be better left unsaid. But... <laughs> well, joke jokes on us because they just got a free spot. <laughs> I guess that's true. It could have been a better spot, but uh, yeah, but that is a that is the truth. We got a request, and we won't be doing it. Although I'm always curious as to what the details would be, but it's just not right for the show. It's not right. Now, if Bick wants to reach out to us, let us know. We can, (laughs) we can do Bick. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Anyways, uh, Eric, this is pixel guy. Then clearly a show about retro video games and retro inspired video games. And a little bit about beer. And a little bit about beer. We're also part of the Amigos Retro Video Game Network. Actually, I guess it's the Amigos Retro Gaming Network to be official exclamation point. Um, on which you can find shows such as uh, Amigos Everything Amiga, ARG Presents, Sprite Castle, R. Sinclair, The Coco Show, um, which they just did episode 29 already of, of The Coco yeah. Show on Draconian. We've talked about Draconian, which is a fire-breathing take on Bosconian. Which I love, uh, yeah. Great stuff. Their, their new show, the Atari ST Show, which has had two new episodes since our last uh, shout-out, Um covering oids and super sprints so check out those shows for sure uh coming up on this episode of pixel guide and eric mm. uh, we are going to have eric's take and yes. what was your take eric? it was a continuation of the discussion with patreon supporters about their crown jewel collection and this month we're covering jason holland and dan james 
And oh, then so next cool. month, I hope to get Tenmark on because he's agreed to it. And we just haven't nailed down a time and date. And it's been my fault. So as soon as we get that, I'll have him booked as well. I already know what he's going to say. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Something tells me <laughs> it's going to be his Galaga. It's going to be Galaga, right? It's clearly his favorite game of all time. Um, we also are going to have ourselves a tea time with Tim coming up this episode, uh, which is cool because he got out into the public, Eric, even uh, as this COVID thing trails off or goes crazy. I don't know. It's always doing the opposite in England. Um, but he got out to the Southwest Amiga Group uh, for the first time in a while, and he was going to give us some updates there on what he saw there. Uh, very excited to hear about that. And then uh, we are going to be covering... I'm always forgetting six good. We're doing six good games this episode, Eric. Yes, we are. That's right. And what type of games were we covering? We are covering first-person shooters, and I, I put my own constraints on this, my own little rules. I yeah. I said it has to be 20 years or older. Okay. okay. I didn't want to go so far back, like with Doom and stuff like that, because there was an era of my life, like in the late 90s, when I played a lot of FPSs and loved them, and early 2000s, I should say. Um, and I love them. And so it was a topic I really want. I'm looking forward to discussing, but I had to give myself those parameters. So that's what I'm doing. And I'm not going to make any errata this time, Eric, uh, because, uh, oh, and uh, first of all, we've got the news. We've got the news coming up. Yeah. Um, but our next episode, of course, the second episode of the month, uh, we are going to be covering the rest of our, our lineup. And that comes out on February 28th, Eric, which is my birthday. You'd think I wouldn't forget that. Uh, right. But last year, I said February 30th. Neither of us said anything in the next month. We had all <laughs> kinds of people telling us, errata! Errata! Yeah, exactly. There is no 30th. That's, um, true. That's true. In fact, my wife sent me a thing, and we've agreed to stop drinking February 29th, 20, uh, 30th, and 31st. 31st. Perfect. So, That's uh, great. It's a yeah, good yeah. health-conscious health, uh, event. Great. It's kind of like a mini Lent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, and then so next episode, uh, Tim Drew will join us live on air here. I have a sweet game show planned. Everyone loves the game shows. I love the game shows. Yes. We too. are going to be catching up as we always do. And we have a battle of the systems in which we are battling two games. You know, I'll just leave it hanging. We don't need to tell everybody. But two games that are musically uh, inspired falling block puzzle games. I think that's close Excellent. enough. Action puzzle games. Something like that. And based on uh, Henrik's feedback, I am, uh, we're going to add a little, few little uh, samples of the music. We're going to inject those right, right up the wazoo. Now, in his word, we're adding texture. Yeah, we're going to add texture. I would say that in, uh, in his accent, but I just, no, I can't. No. no. <laughs> cool. So, Eric, without further ado, I think it's time that we go ahead for some quick questions. Quick questions. It's just that kind of a night. It's just yeah, that kind I, of a night. When you said that I wasn't going to say anything, I was like, oh, I'll let him catch it himself. He'll catch it. <laughs> oh, I caught up all right. I caught up with <laughs> ourselves. Catching up will be next episode. All right. So with quick questions, we'd like to answer a few questions right off the bat. And it used to be questions that we had for each other, Eric. At this yeah. point, at this point, it's hard for us to wedge in our own questions because we have so many people from the community providing questions for us, which I love. Which I love, too, because I'm, you know, some, t- some months I just struggle to figure a good question out. So it's great that the community supports us in that. So I think we should go with uh, questions one. Oh, man, there's a bunch here. And then, and then our community questions. Let's do that. So this first question comes from uh, a fellow podcaster on the Pixel Guide and podcast, Tim Drew. He says, hopefully we are nearing the end game with COVID. 
What retro gaming events and shows are you planning to visit? Do you want to take this one first? I will, and it probably it probably uh, answers it for both of us, which is, uh, and I could be wrong in your case, but I think we've talked about the fact that neither of us have actually gone to any retro gaming events or shows. No, like, well, ever. I went to Amy West, which you know, Patreon it's shout really out. A, it's, it's not really a game. Uh, it's not really a gaming event. So that's the only one I've ever been to. So any one of them are going to be my first real. Now, now you've been to, to Sac Valley Retro or Sac Valley Games Convention once. Did I? <laughs> I, I know you did. Well, here's here's a fun story. I know you did because this is when we first started Pixel Guide in. I couldn't yeah. make it. You ended up going, and I know you handed out our business cards because we were trying to spread the word. That's right. I did go to it. It wasn't very large. It was not as large as I wanted it to be. Larger uh, than Amy West? Oh, much, much larger than <laughs> Amy West. Probably six times, seven times the size of Amy West. You're right. I did go to that. That's right. And, uh, and the reason I know that is because I think I told this on the show, but a while back for work, I had to do an emergency delivery to a customer because uh, whatever happened, I just need to run out and, and drop it off. And I go to this random strip mall around the back, and this is a door. And I open the door, or I knock on the door, and this guy answers the door, and there's like retro game posters all over the wall inside. Yeah. And I kind of peek back, and I see a warehouse full of like old video game stuff, and I'm like, whoa, what is this? And I was talking to the guy, and he does like an online, you know, retro video game store thing. Anyways, I handed him a card, and he's like, didn't I meet you at the Sac Valley Game Expo thing? And I'm like, that must have been Eric. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. It's, I, I completely forgot about that. But yeah, I do remember that now. Uh, anyways, to answer the question, and I can be answering it for both of us here, is we're trying to find... I'm actively trying to get Eric and I uh, actually using, using to be completely honest, using the Patreon money that, and... Um, and uh, sponsored money that we've gotten for the show to get ourselves to one because I want to go to a one and I want to go to a good one. So yeah. there's a big one in uh, Southern California, Southern California retro gaming event. Um, but that's coming up pretty quick. I don't think we're going to make that, honestly. But the, I don't think so either. The big one up in Portland, which is probably one of the biggest ones in the United States, uh, that's potentially going to be August, October, sometime in there. They haven't picked a date yet. I, I think we're going to be shooting for that. I want to make that happen. Yeah, I I think that would be a good tentative plan. We should try to try to make that happen, and hopefully, COVID will be in a better situation by then. You never know, but I think it will be. We'll probably be on. Uh, let's see, Alpha Omegas. It will be on like the Omega Omega yeah. strain. That's right. Um, That's okay. Yeah. How about how about you read this one from Josh? Yep. So this is from Josh Malone or forty eight K Ram. He says, "Which is your favorite part about old computers?" The hardware itself, old games, modern games, or the demo scene? Go for it, Eric. So out of all these, I think my preferences shift depending on like the time of the year or, or <laughs> I have no idea when something new comes out, I get excited about it. So I will say that I've never been one to get into the demo scene. And I know Josh is really into the demo scene. He likes to run the demos on his machines and mm-hmm. watch them. And I think they're really cool. I have nothing against them. I think they're great. But I don't, I've never really been into them where I just try to build my machines around these demos. So that's definitely not it. Um, lately, for me, I've been really into the hardware, um, mm-hmm. you know, tinkering with hardware. And we're going to talk about more of that in catching up because um, I've, I've added some, I did another mod. Um, but I, I love old games and modern games. I play old games all the time. And I love modern games written for old systems like Commodore 64 and Sega Genesis. Um, 
I, I, so this is really hard to answer, but I think my opinion shifts all the time. That's a good non-answer, Eric. Um, call you Slick Willie. Um, for, for me, like now, note for you, I'd throw out BBSs as well, because I know you love yourself some BBSs. I do, I do. That's true. Uh, for me, and now, now you say it's funny. He's saying your favorite part about old computers specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's it, when it comes to old computers. If I had to be very specific, I guess it would be modern games for old computers would be my favorite part. Yeah. I like I like trying the the original games and seeing what people were loved for the most part, you know, because most of these old computers are games I never played before outside of the Macintosh, which no one talks about for gaming. But um, and a lot of the games that people love have elements that I love, but the game itself is kind of rough compared to how you know they find refined it nowadays and things like that. Yeah. I enjoy playing them, getting that experience, experiencing the hardware for what it was. And I like playing on real hardware, but the whole point of all of that is so I can play games on computers. And realistically, if I could pick only all the new games versus only all the old games for those computers, yeah. I'd, pick, I'd pick the new ones. I think the stuff people are doing now, the way the extra tools they have to make games for the new, the old computers, the things they're doing with them, they're just much more to my liking at this point. Uh, but I, but I love both, you know. So that'd be my yeah. choice. Good choice. Uh, and just you know, again, no offense to Josh or any others, but the demo zine is. You know, if you're into the coding or, you know, you can have some sort of uh, barometer for how impressive those demos are. Cool. But I can I can watch music videos and things. I don't need to watch demos on old computers because I don't I probably because I can't appreciate them for what they really are. So, yep, that is my answer. A um, couple here from Pajaco 6502. OK. Is there an awesome piece of video game merch that you own or would like to own? For example, a Pac-Man lunchbox. I love his example. <laughs> yeah, well, you want to just let's just tackle these one at a time. So, what? How about you? Why don't you answer that? Um, awesome piece of video game merch. I, you know, it, I don't. I guess the answer is I don't. I don't have really merch. I'm kind of looking around, seeing if I'm lying at all. I mean, the closest thing I would have is some of the original, like, posters from the old video games and stuff that come in the boxes, and they put them up on the wall. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Most of the, quote-unquote, merch or things that I don't actually use but like to own are accessories. So they actually are part of the video game hardware itself. Like, right. um, you know, for example, one thing I really want to get right now, even though I'll never actually use it, I want to get a power glove. I just need to have a power glove. And they're, um, they're, getting, they're getting pricey. I better get one. You see, and the thing is, I'm not, I'm not going to use it, so I don't necessarily care if it works. Right. Um, that and I guess some of the uh, some of the boxes, the original boxes, the games came in would be the closest thing. But yep. that's not not something I focused on. What about you? So in sixth grade for Christmas, I got a Pac Man watch, and they were being blown out. You know, so I mean, my parents probably, literally probably picked it up for fifteen bucks or twenty bucks. Uh, but I really wanted it, and when I went back to school, I was like, I was the king, like. I had this little watch that played Pac-Man and it was by Nelsonic, which is cool uh-huh. because, you know, my name's Nelson. So, oh, yeah. um, so I played like I, and I had this little watch. <laughs> I played it for a long time. Like I loved that thing until it broke, like the, the, the screen stopped working cause I had a little LCD screen. And so over the years I've gone on eBay and looked for them and like they go as high as 500 bucks now. Wow. Really? I, sh- I should have picked one up. Cause I remember maybe I looked maybe 10 years ago and you could still get them for about 50, 60 bucks online working. 
So I would have loved to have that, but, um, you know, I'd love still love to have one if I ever found one for a good deal, but I really just don't think I'm ever going to have one, but that would be a nice little hit of nostalgia to, I wouldn't wear it around. Obviously I'd just keep it up. I'd probably pin it on the wall or something, or I don't know. That would be nice to have. But other than that, yeah, I'm like you, I don't, I don't really have a lot of merchandise uh, other than shirts. I, I do like you do to have shirts. Those. That's true. I'm wearing my TurboGrafx 16 one today. Yeah. Uh, my, my tough thing with, with shirts is I'll just, I'll put it this way. And it's the truth. I like to wear stuff that, that my wife enjoys seeing me in. Yeah. Does that makes sense. And sure. the vast majority of that stuff, she is just not a fan of. Not <laughs> so a fan of. I'm still yeah. trying to find the right Commodore sh- shirt. It'd probably just be, just be the Commodore logo, but not in color like maybe just a a white logo in the corner of the shirt and that's it yeah or something like that um actually there's a shirt i saw recently a vectrix shirt again just the vectrix logo which yeah. you know for for all intents and purposes if you don't know vectrix is it could look like a like a brand like volcom or something you know that's so right oh, those kind of things yeah. i can get away with but um yeah and i have i have tons i probably have 10 or 12 t-shirts with different retro items sega genesis one turbo graphics uh i have three commodore ones there is one i i should say this because this is one i do want and now i should have bought it again when it was cheap but this was only a couple of years ago they came out now you know the uh, football club in in england chelsea okay they, they had uh, they reissued one of their retro jerseys or kits as they call them, I think. Hmm. Um, but they, they reissued one and it, they, back then they were sponsored by Commodore. So oh, that's cool. on, on the Chelsea thing on the big, right on the front of the Jersey is a big Commodore logo. It says Commodore under it, but it's a Jersey. It's a football Jersey. That's way so cool. I was like, ah, I would love that. And back then they were, you know, they were always expensive. I think it was a hundred bucks, but since they don't make that reissue anymore, they're crazy money now. And I, I should have got one when I could, but anyway, so yeah, I'd like that too. So, we have one more uh, question here from Pajaco, but before we get there, we want to make sure you guys know about our show sponsor, RetroRewind.ca. Yes. Uh, RetroRewind.ca is a Canadian company, although it's quicker to get stuff there and back than it is to do so within the United States, as we found pretty out, much. Eric. Yeah, pretty much. Um, they actually have a very cool lo- logo, which would look good on a shirt. And by the way, under their goodies section, you can buy that logo on a shirt, which I think it's pretty cool. I actually might try to get that one past the wife. It's a cool looking shirt. You know what? I'm going to get one too. I, I, it'd be nice to wear them on the show. And now that I'm doing interviews like on YouTube, it'd be, it'd be nice to represent. So I'm going to try Let's put a stock order in with Frank at retrorewind.ca. Uh, yeah. go, go to retrorewind.ca forward slash pixel guide in. So the show gets a little credit and, uh, you can pick up things like the Amiga four player adapter. It's a little piece of hardware here that allows you, and I'm going to read it word for word here to turn your next gaming party up a notch with our Amiga four player adapter. The Amiga four player adapter allows you to connect two additional joysticks to your Amiga via the parallel port. And it's compatible with a wide range of games. Full support for every Amiga model, including the Amiga 1000, and support for continuous fire via the onboard dip switches. Uh, couple, we want to talk about this item real quick. Yeah, so that's the A600 slash 1200 CF to IDE adapter. Now, you can buy these all over the place, but but Frank's ri- is actually has I think what if you scroll down and read the instructions, I believe because I've looked at this one before. It is one of the only one I think that contains some kind of buffering. So it, it solves some kind of problem, if I remember right. Um, allows connecting a compact flash port to the IDE port. 
Um, it is the world's first and only CF2 ID with buffering, which separates a total of 24 signals from the rest of the system. I don't know what that means, Cody. I'm, the, I'm just, I don't know what it means, but it sounds, it sounds important. Good. It sounds well, really important and it sounds really cool. But ultimately what the device means is that you can put a CF card in your Amiga 600 or 1200, right? Yep. And you will, sorry, A600 or 1200. I always forget the A. And uh, you got a little uh, modern hard drive inside your Amiga. So if you have an Amiga 600 or 1200, you've got to own one of these. And last but not least, he's got Tandy color computer stuff as well, including this item, which I keep telling myself I'm going to get. And this is going on my list at RetroRewind.ca. That is the 6309 CPU upgrade. Yeah. Which, if I'm not mistaken, that's the, the upgrade to the uh, 6809. Is that correct? Is that how that works? And that's the, the fancier chip. Yeah, let's say it is. Let's say you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so basically that thing will, uh, if, I, if I've got it correctly, um, is the one you need to play the kind of the, the very few modern high-end games that use like all the tricks that Coco can do. Yeah. Um, it's something I've been meaning to get for a while. And you also can uh, send your Coco to Frank over there at RetroRewind.ca and have him install it. There's an item here to get it installed as well. So make sure you go to RetroRewind.ca and use Pixel Guided. I'm sorry. <laughs> use code PG10 to get how much off your order, Eric? 10%. 10% PG- off your order. And you can also go to RetroRewind.ca slash Pixel Guided so that, uh, I don't know, something happens in the background where he knows you're looking at stuff from re- re- reference from us. to us, I guess. Yeah. But PG10 is the code. Use it. 10% off. I'm going to use it because I'm going to get those shirts. I might get that CPU. Let's let's put an order in together because I've got like a, a list of like ten things I want there now. That's awesome. Boom! Last one here from Pajaco sixty five zero two. Eric, go for it and yep. read that guy. Have you ever stashed anything secret inside a video game box? I once bought a PS two game from a charity shop, and there were like five <laughs> adult DVD <laughs> covers tucked behind the main game sleeve. Just the covers? Yeah, that is weird, right? And I hope it's not a typo. But if it's just the covers, that is really weird. You know, it's not weird. Because my guess is this was a younger person. Yeah. And the covers just happened to fit back there and that those five covers were their holy grail as a as a young person. Yeah, or I'm gonna they, leave it at that. I'm just gonna leave it at that. Yeah, they they took the covers the out covers. to hide it. Yeah. Just to hide it and then they yeah. the DVDs are somewhere else. Yeah. No, I don't think they ever had the DVDs in my opinion. My my oh. my opinion, they just had covers and that was that was their excitement. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> Bless your heart, Cody. Um I I never I never stashed anything in one myself. Yeah. I did uh come upon a pinball machine. Mm-hmm. Um and uh I won't I won't I actually didn't purchase it, but I was helping a, a friend to upgrade it and clean it out. Mm-hmm. Um it was somebody who basically paid for the service and so uh to help me learn how to work on pinball machines I hopped over there and he basically you know had me help him by replacing lamps and uh cl- doing cleaning and things like that. Uh we opened the machine and found a little baggie full of uh green sticky uh <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um a lot of our beers have the word dank on it. It it you know <laughs> As Snoop Dogg so, would say, the sticky icky. So yeah, we uh, we we took a look at it and went, "Wow, whatever that is all about." And we just kind of had to throw it back in there and pretend we didn't see it. But yeah, that'd be the that'd be the uh, the most shocking thing I guess I've seen. Yeah, and I I don't have anything shocking. I mean, once I got a Dreamcast and it still had the crazy taxi disc in there, um, but 
I have stashed stuff inside of an actual console. My, um, I bought my wife like something, a piece of jewelry that came in a little box. And it sounds nefarious. And, and well, and just to hide it for Christmas, I put it inside of my Dreamcast because once you take the CD player out and install the the little ODE thing, the GD whatever it is, um, there's plenty of room in there. So like I just shoved it in there, and <laughs> no, one, no one's ever going to look at my Dreamcast. Um, so I remember I, I did that, and then to this day I still take my receipts and I pop them inside the case of every game I buy. And it's That's not kind of cool. Yeah. It's not to hide it, but it's I always like it when I go on Twitter and I see someone yeah. pull out a receipt from like 1984, like, look, I bought my Commodore 64 or whatever. And so now I can open up like my Halo and go, look, I bought this at Toys R Us, you know, blah, 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 whatever. KB Toys. Oh, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Very cool. Though I would I would say the only other thing wasn't a video game at all, but my wife, uh, when we were in college, we were actually just about to get married, purchased a forerunner. And she purchased it for, for X amount of dollars, but when we got it home, we opened the glove box, and there was like $400 in cash. <laughs> sitting in the gu- We're like, all right, I guess that's a discount. <laughs> Take it. That is um, awesome. Yeah. Eric, let's go ahead and get some show information. Yep. You can get show information on our podcast at pixelguiden.com. You can also listen to our show on the Amigos Retro Gaming Network at anchor.fm forward slash amigos podcast you can reach us on twitter using at pixel underscore guiden you can reach eric at the project that's at d-u-h-p-r-o-j-e-c-t and you can reach cody at oddball which is at o-d-d-b-a-1149 you can also reach me that's tim at Sanxion, and that's at S-A-N-X-I-O-N. Please review us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or any of the other podcatchers that you use. It really helps us out. You can email us on podcast at pixelguiden.com. And we'd love any feedback. And also, please let us know if we've done anything wrong, and we'll mention it on the next show. We also have a Patreon account set up, so if you wish to support the show financially, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pixelguiden. You can support us with as little as a dollar all the way up to infinite dollars. If you do so, you'll get access to the Amigos Retro Network Discord server, where all kinds of cool chat is happening about not only our show, but the other shows, such as Bright Castle and, of course, the Amigos, um, amongst other shows. And there's various other topics in there. Um, everything from for sale to music to uh, high score contests, things like that. If you support us at the $3 or more tier, we like to announce every supporter at that level here on the show in a way that we can only do here on Pixel Guide and using our random adjective generator. Please also remember that this month we will be giving away a $25 gift certificate on RetroRewind.ca if you are a Patreon subscriber. So hop on now if you want to be entered. The drawing will happen on March 5th. But this month, we're heading back to the 1990s for some good alternative rock. Pushy Dustin Newell and the eminent Matthew Ackerman The zonked out Daniel James and the teeny Eric Sindgren The lovely David Vincent and the dry ten minute meager retro cast 
Smiling Roy Fielding and the pricey Mr. Toast. The deafening Mache Plusnowski and the flowery Paradroid. The various Ram OK, Ram OK, the fitting and stiller. Pick forgotten Patreon song Living Metsuyama The Gusty Gary Heather The Unnatural Brian Arsenault And the Yummy Pajaku Numberless Jason Holland The Spotty Mark Scott And the tender of the animation and the receptor that me west Pick forgotten Patreon song Pick Thank you so much. We'd like to say thank you. And I like to, I like to sing. I've been doing a lot of singing lately, Eric. That's awesome. Sing with a song in your heart. I, I, I think my songs are pretty catchy. In fact, my, my girls get them stuck in, in their heads and keep singing around the house, and then my wife gets angry. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they always get some songs stuck in their head, and, and we all get annoyed with it. So this time it's You should have, my your wife sing, have, a, have your wife sing one of our Patreon songs. There we go. I'm sure that'd go over well. <laughs> so she loves like classic rock and stuff maybe we can try to do like a, a leonard skinnerd version next time something like that yeah uh eric we're about ready to hop in the news but before we do that we are infinitely too sober yeah exactly you're not kidding so not kidding. so eric went ahead and bought some beers i was not able to meet up with you to grab a couple so i just went and bought the same ones Perfect. Um, for listeners now who are used to us drinking two beers and rating two beers a show, uh, logistically, it's just not making sense at this point. So we're going to try to do one each show. And uh, don't, get, don't get this wrong. Don't be disappointed. We're still going to have another beer. It's just going to be a whatever beer. The first beer is going to be the, the rated beer. So Exactly. So which one are you starting with, Eric? Well, you know, one, the one I'm most interested in is the one from King, uh, King Kong Brewing. So it's the Nectar of the Paws. Have it in my paws. Oop, I grabbed the wrong one. Hold on. All right. So this one right, is called Nectar, Nectar of the Paws. It's actually King Kong and Anderson Valley. It's a mashup. Oh, I, I didn't even notice that. That's awesome. And it looks delicious. It's a 6% brown ale. Yep. Um, and it is a, yeah, it's a mashup between two California breweries. So King, yep. King Kong being in Sacramento. Uh, yes. And then Anderson Valley is up in like the Eureka area, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere up there. I didn't even notice that mashup, but I'm I'm glad to see that because they're both excellent breweries. I mean, I've had I've had plenty of beers from Anderson Valley, and they're all pretty decent. So, well, let's go ahead and crack this one open, Eric. Yeah, so. sure. Ah, and a nice tall boy, yeah. as we like to do. Oh yeah, and I've got my uh, ten mark mug that he sent us. I have uh, that upstairs in my freezer 
So I need to I need to go get that one here shortly. But for the time being, Eric, all I can say yeah. is cheers, my friend. Cheers. Oh. Hmm. All right. It's a bit nutty. Yeah, like a like a good brown ale should be. Exactly. Um. So it's got a whole bunch of uh, paw prints and whatnot. Over a map of California and Nevada, right? Wait, nope. That's just all California. Uh, and it's Nectar of the Paws, and there's a picture of the Anderson uh, bear on there, which means this is clearly... Nectar Nectar of the bears would be like bear milk, so this is clearly a bear milk uh, beer. That is the idea. That is the... <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. So, so with a, a full uh, two-gallon... Um, a two-gallon jug of bear milk. <laughs> <laughs> How full is that? Is that two-gallon two jug? Man, I, I gotta tell you, I'm really liking this. I mean, it's a good, solid brown. I, I, I very much enjoy it. I like brown ales, so mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, they're one of my favorite types of beer. Uh, they're one of the few beers I've ever brewed myself, and it was really good. It's I'm gonna good. say it's good. So I'm gonna out of a percentage of how full a two gallon jug is, I'm gonna say I'm gonna give this a good eighty five. Eighty five percent full. You no, know I'm right there with you, my friend. Wow. Cheers again. Boom. We are in we are in sync. We are simpatico. <laughs> mm, good beer. I would sing an in sync lyric, but I can't even think of one. <laughs> I always go backstreet boys somehow when you say in sync. <laughs> it's Friday night, and I just, just, just got paid. No? Is, did they say that? <laughs> yeah, they did. So. Did they? Yeah, they did. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Were they the ones that uh, went, like, they had a song that they said, We're rough. No. I was laughing they say that because they were, like, little. <laughs> no, I think you were, like, 15 years too late on that one. That was, um, yeah. that was, was that? New Kids on the Block. Oh, that was New Kids on the Block. We're rough. And they were like these little, like, they couldn't even grow mustaches. And and the one kid, I think, was like actually 13 or 14, something like that. Exactly. This is a great beer, though. I'm enjoying this one quite a bit. Good choice. Good choice. Thank you. I concur. Eric, how about we go ahead and... Where's my button? Where's my button? Make sure people know the news. <laughs> Reporting the All right. All right. All right. Let's get this started. I'm going to get this. I'm going to get this party started. You should. So I don't know if you've seen this, but I know you're not a big fan of ports, but you do have to take a look at this. Oh, my goodness. Um, Puzzle Bobble is now has a really, really cool version out on the Commodore 64. Um, it, it, the graphics on this are are incredible. The sound is really fantastic. I downloaded it, but I have it. Even does a little Neo Geo. Splash I was going to say screen. that's the best part about this. It does the fake Neo Geo screen. <laughs> it does the fake Neo Geo screen, and the graphics are colorful. They're bright. You can do a two-player game in this. Um, and so, for people that might know it by another name, it also goes by I think it's Bust a Move. Bust a Move right? is yep, what is known over here. Yep. So Bust a Move over here, Puzzle Bobble over there. I love this game. So I, I just think it's really cool to now have it on the Commodore 64 as well. Um, there's not much more to say. If you know Puzzle Bobble, you basically are it, it, you're Bub or Bob, which are from Bubble Bobble, and you shoot bubbles up and you try to c- join them to like-colored bubbles. And when you do, it causes them to fall and break away from 
Meanwhile, it's always moving downwards to the to the bottom of the screen. Um, I'm pretty sure if you saw it, anybody out there, you would recognize it. Um, yeah, this is, I, I mean, the, Bust a Move is uh, or that series is probably my second favorite. Again, we're, I'm going to call it a falling block puzzle game, but th- of yeah. that genre, you know, it's right up there with Tetris to me. I, it's very good. And it, this is one of the games I go to on my my little uh, arcade cabinet I built because I just love playing it on there. The sound is awesome. The gameplay is awesome. The music is awesome. So this this is a very, very good version of the game. So yeah, it looks it's awesome. It's PAL only, but it's on Commodore 64. Oh, so PAL only. Yeah. I'm really not interested. <laughs> We're going to get you that uh, PAL motherboard here pretty soon. Motherboard. I need to get, well, I want to get that uh, C64C case. I need to, I need to wait until I can get one of those to put it in. But um, I, uh, I might be able to hook you up there. I might mm-hmm, have one in the garage. Because uh, I transplanted mine into a clear case. Oh, that's right, huh? So I think I have it if I can find it out in the garage. And if Tim has a hard time finding a PAL motherboard, I think I have a PAL motherboard out in the garage. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so. Um, item number two, Zeta Wing is going physical. Sweet. Uh, Well-deserved. G- yeah, and this well is de- actually my favorite to this day, it's still my favorite Sarah Jean Every game. She made, you know, Soul Force, which was a technical masterpiece. Uh, yeah. She made Bradley Witch, which is probably another technical masterpiece and brilliant storytelling and all that kind of stuff. But Zeta Wing is just my go-to, probably my, it is my favorite shmup on the system to this day. So the fact that they're making a physical of it, um, going with Bitmap, so- Bitmap Soft this time, which yeah. they've been producing all kinds of great physical releases. Yeah. Um, so you want to check that out check that out they're going to be releasing that shortly enough otherwise you can buy the game digital only on uh, itch.io zeta wing was awesome soul force is another one by her that was amazing too so yeah so oh i got the next one i'm also standing here looking at it this is studio Um, is that what she's in so this is really cool so mortal Kombat arcade edition has been released for the sega genesis so they basically, because Mortal Kombat came out on the Genesis, but it did lack a lot of the arcade features, like the voices, uh, some of the sound effects were taken out. I think, and I, you, people can correct me if I'm wrong, I think a couple of the players weren't even in it, or hmm. the, choosable, the, the, you know, the selectable players. Um, this has a um, upgraded sprites. Upgraded sounds and the actual um, digitized voices, like finish him, finish him. Um, so this is just a complete upgraded Sega Genesis. Someone took the time to make the arcade version, and um, I really want to download this now. I heard it'll work on the EverDrive, but I I have my EverDrive is very old, so it's like the first edition that ever came out. So I uh, I don't know if it'll run on mine. I don't know if it needs I'm a sure new EverDrive sure or not, but. Um, I'm still trying to get to the video of it here so I can follow along, but yeah, again, it's a, an upgrade. So anyway, port. look at that for the Sega Genesis. Look at those graphics. I mean, everything's been smoothed out and, uh, it, I have to say, I think I haven't downloaded this yet, but I've watched some videos of the play. I think the best part about it is the upgraded sound, to be honest. Okay. But the sprites themselves have been updated too. They don't look as cartoony. They look more like the digitized kind of rotoscoped. Yeah. So I I just think it's awesome. I love it. So I I definitely need to get this done. 
Being a fighter is not a game I put a lot of time into, so I couldn't tell you what the original Genesis version looks like, to be honest with you, but it's cool that people are making these old... I I really like all the Super Nintendo games that people have modded to make run smoother. One of my favorites being Gradius 3, which is a great game, except so much slowdown and you know frame skipping and stuff on the super nintendo version and they fixed that too so yeah i love when people go back and and fix issues with with games i'm gonna get you into uh because i listen we've had puzzle games now on on battle of the systems a lot and i don't like puzzle games that much so i you we're gonna have to do a fighter you're gonna have to that's right i keep offering for you guys to pick and you guys never have anything ready to go so i'm just gonna keep on throwing down I would even love a because since since you're not into them, I'd love a classic like Street Fighter Two versus Mortal Kombat. That would be an excellent okay. one. Okay, but anyway, we'll, we'll figure it out. But there are some better fighters. I mean, not better, but there are more interesting fighters we could we could face against each other. Like the one that started our podcast, Groove on Fight. Yeah, that's a great one too. Yeah, there you go. Um, this is one that's near and dear to my heart, and I almost pulled the trigger, and I'm I'm sure I'm going to hear shortly enough. Um, Probably news to me, and a lot of Vectrix stuff goes under the radar, but I love my Vectrix. I know you love your Vectrix. I know Tim wants to get a Vectrix. Yeah. So two things of note here. Okay. First of all, this is VectrixMulti.com. They're the, excuse me, the main supplier for the Sean Kelly Multicart. They're the one I bought my copy of Vector Blade and a couple other games, Dark Castle. Um. There's a number of games, I believe there was four games, including Dark Castle and um, Tour de France, that were games that were eventually going to be released for the Vectrix when it was actually still an item, and they never got released. Another one of those games is this game here, Mail Plane, which mm. is literally a game where you are, it's like simulating uh, planes, preparing routes for them, having them deliver mail across the United States. Yeah. Uh, the cool thing about this one is not only does it come with the full new box and, and all the cool um, no overlay, and I'll get to that in a second, uh, but it comes with all the, the cool fanfare that goes along with the normal uh, Vectrix multi-release. Uh, uh, but this game was originally made for the light pen. Now, the light pen yeah. uh, is very hard to get now. Uh, they're going for 150 bucks, something like that, for a good working one. Uh, a lot of people do not have the light pen. I their cost was so high, and I thought I'd never use it, so I never had a huge interest in the light pen because of that. But I'd love to have one. Well, they are now also providing a faithful reproduction of the light pen, the Vectrix light pen, at the same website. And you can either buy mail plane by itself for I think sixty dollars. You can buy the light pen by itself for sixty dollars, or in this bundle, which I'm going to buy, you get both together shipped to you for a hundred bucks. That's a pretty good deal because the light pen is worth it alone to have a brand new light pen. Those are hard to get. And it's a they true replica. It's a true yeah, replica. I, it's, not, it's not like some weird, they were making some weird knockoff yeah. versions just to make, you know, have the technology work, but this is a replica. Even when I first got my Vectrex years ago, I, I mean, it's probably been eight or nine years ago, I still couldn't find a light pen that, was, that worked and that was inexpensive. Yep. Now, I mean, not that this one's cheap, but I mean, it's... It's pretty. It's a lot cheaper than if you got one of the old ones. So with the light pen, of course, it's being a vector-based screen. It actually allows you to put the pen, which plugs into the second controller port, and basically use the screen as a touchscreen. And that's exactly how this game uses it. Uh, there's other yeah. there's other programs. I guess they're not games. Programs where you can like draw with the light pen, things like that. This is actually more or less using the uh, Vectrix as a touchscreen. So that's really cool. Yeah, pretty darn cool. 
And then it has, comes with some other fanfare in here, like this little uh, mail plane pin. <laughs> Those little pins like you get when you, you remember when we, well, you were probably too young for this. Cracker Jack box or something? <laughs> no, when we used to fly on planes, the oh. the cap. The, the the stewardess would come around and give you little wings that you could clip on your jacket or shirt. That's if you were, if it was your first flight though, wasn't it? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think remember. they still I, do it. I'm sure. I'm I mean, sure they're like there. they're probably magnetic now. They probably don't give kids sharp pointy pins anymore. But exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, I was excited about that, and I'm going to have to pull the trigger on that here pretty pretty soon. That is really cool. Um, so I. I you know I took a trip to the Brewing Academy, which I will talk about next episode on catching up. And I know ah, you've already been ah. there, but he gave me the grand tour. And one of the things he showed was um, a big area where he had a bunch of Atari Stacys. And if you don't know what an Atari Stacy is, it is a Atari ST computer built into a laptop. Wow. And they're very, I don't, I don't know if I want to say very rare, but they're rare. And they are very rare in working condition. And I think they're pretty difficult to repair. So what he has done, and he did this after I visited, because we talked for a good 10 or 15 minutes about the Atari Stacys, because I think they're really cool. I'd love to have one. But he basically said, well, you know what? I'm just going to put these on the website in whatever condition they're in. So if you're a tinkerer, you should go onto the Brewing Academy's website and find one, and you can get a really good deal on these in various conditions that if you are handy, you might be able to fix one up yourself and get a super good deal on it. Now, he has ones that are working and that are, that work fine, and you can buy those too, but they're a lot more expensive. Um, but even, even, the, even the working ones are still cheaper than I've seen them on eBay. For eBay, there, you can see, find ones for $1,200, $1,300. Wow. I think the highest one he has on here is 700 bucks. But if you pull that little thing down, you can get one in like a worse condition for, you know, 400 bucks, 300 bucks, something like or that. Or they have so, parts if you just want a parts machine for less than that. Yep. So anyway, if you are in the market for an Atari, Stacy, a little bit of history, um, you just go ahead and over to the Brewing Academy and check them out. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, they're neat machines. I like I said, I would love to have one myself, but they're a little too pricey for me, and I'm not sure I have the chops to repair them if they're not working fully. So, yeah, yeah, and it, and I'm sure they're not. I mean, I'm looking at it. It does the screen is a black and white monochrome. Yeah. Screen. It's not an Atari ST, like a true. I'm sure the power is, but they, that screen limits it. Um, right, and, but you can. I think there is an external monitor port. Gotcha. So you could plug it in and have the full Atari ST experience. Well, that's cool. That is very yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, a little man. bit of history. Too. It always I mean, makes me want to do buy it anyways, just because I know it's once these are gone, I'll probably never have the opportunity to buy one again. I hate to miss opportunities, but yeah, at this point, I can't see the point in owning one for me. But yeah, uh, Stacy's are, are rare. They're very, very rare. So anyway, that's crazy. Uh, here's a fun little news article. We've talked about this in the past. <laughs> Uh, Bowser, yeah, Bowser goes to jail. Now, we're not talking about the video game uh, pl- uh, character Bowser. We're not talking yep. about the Nintendo CEO, Doug Bowser. We right. are talking about a Canadian hacker who uh, apparently is going to jail for three years for crimes against Nintendo. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to get too much in, 
Excuse me, I'm burpy. Uh, not gonna on get... top of like like what did that say? On top of fifteen million dollar fine. Yeah, I was gonna get to that, but yeah. So oh, so yes. basically, <laughs> he's already he's already his name is what's his name? Gary Bowser. You know, huge difference yeah. from Doug Bowser. He's a fifty-one year old Canadian who was arrested for he was arrested in the Dominican Republic, so he was on the run. Um, so basically, he's already agreed to pay two separate fines, uh, one of $4.5 million to Nintendo America of, as restitution, and a further $10 million. But Nintendo didn't stop there. They wanted this guy behind bars. That's uh, right. So after paying that much money, he is now in jail for 40 months. Uh, apparently, cost Nintendo more than $65 million in losses. He basically, I don't even know the entire thing, he made a piece of hardware that allows people to basically hack their games and allow people to become pirates hack their switches so that you can run whatever software you want i mean i've heard of this i've heard of the things that they were making and selling to hack your switch because if i remember right i don't know if this was the uh, an earlier iteration but there was a way you could take the joy con and rewire it or plug something into it a special joy con that you plug in and it takes advantage of an exploit and then hacks the switch so that you can how, install. How would you know, Eric? How would you hacker? <laughs> I can't stay you're up a, on this stuff. You're a bad I, seed. I've never done it myself because my switch does exactly what I want it to do and plays the games I need it to do. So yeah. I, I, I would, I'd be very, very careful about hacking your switch. I know a lot of people do it, but I, I don't want to get in that. But um, yeah, so but the, the, this does seem a bit extreme. Uh, I don't know the whole story, but I just found it interesting. I mean, I think they're actually making an example of him so that this type of shenanigans comes to a home. lot. Yeah, but I think it's a little steep, but, you know, what do I know? All right, so this is uh, my the next article is Jackal, a top-down shooter based around the NES version, is coming to the Amiga. And the reason I'm bringing this up, because, again, I know you don't love ports, Cody. But I am but a sucker. We have a whole the, we have a whole listenership of people that I'm sure do. Yeah, um, this is, I'm a sucker for the top down shooters yeah. like this, like commando style, or um, what was that other one that I really liked that was multi directional? Um, Akari Warriors. Yes, Akari Warriors. I love those games, and or, I I still boot them up all the time, and just they're kind of like mind like like just mindless fun to have. Um, and so this is Jackal, which is a great game in its own right. It's an underappreciated it's Nintendo game, in my opinion. It, I loaded it up once time, one time and ended up playing for half an hour. I'm like, man, this is actually really good. How come I never really thought about loading this up before? Yeah. Um, fantastic game. So I, uh, it, it, coming to the Amiga, I'm going to download it, and I will enjoy it there as well. So, I mean... And actually, looks, I could game. be wrong, but it looks like it's kind of upgraded. The graphics looks nice, nicer than a Nintendo Absolutely. So I'm looking forward to the kind of visual upgrades on that. But I agree with you. The NES version is amazing. So anyway, that's the news for that. Now, what do you have here? I didn't say amazing, uh, Doug. I said it's good. It was a good game. It's a great little game. (laughs) (laughs) You're putting words in my mouth. I'm sorry. I mean, Eric. Yeah. yeah, Um, (laughs) (laughs) So this is a new segment, Eric. I'm going to start just this episode here called News, 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 News of the Weird, 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 Weird. Excellent. You like that? Yeah, I do like that. I'm eager to what you've got to say here. You know, I've heard about this website a few times, and they have retro news, and it's retrododo.com. Okay. Uh, And some of this news was so weird that I almost had to check in to make sure 
uh, retro because I'd never been on it. I heard of it. I'd never been on the website. I want to make sure it wasn't like the onion, like fake news kind of a thing. Cause some of this right, stuff is right. so weird. <laughs> so I have a couple items here. Let me just load them all back to back here. Sure. Um, so first and foremost, here I'll go, I'll go, uh, well, let's see which one of these three tabs loads first. That'll help me out. Uh, apparently a recently revealed, uh, accessory for the Game Boy Color was made, uh, I guess, public, was made aware, people found out about it, called the Page Boy, and it was an accessory uh, pager for your Game Boy Color. <laughs> if you click on the link, you can take a look at it here, and it's just a little fat pack that sits on the back of your small Game Boy Color. The game still goes in the top of it and everything. Um, but if you scroll down here, you can see here that you can get weather on this thing. Yeah. And you'd get, you know, right here, this popped up while this guy was playing a game. It says urgent and lists a telephone number to call back, which is what a pager did. For those, for those who don't, who don't uh, know what a pager is, is, I mean, I'm sure there's people out there that do not know what a pager is. There's probably a lot of people. Absolutely. You literally call some, somebody's pager. It would say, hey, this number called you so you can run to another phone and call them back. Yep. Um, did you ever was, own a pager? You know, I never did. Even even I when did. pagers were a thing, I thought they were kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I had one. Um, I, I had one, and I really didn't have any reason I needed one. But I think the work, the the place I I worked, bought it for me and paid for it, so I had it, and I never really got any good use out of it. <laughs> every t- every time it went off, it's like your mom again. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Just want to see where you are. Give me a call. Um. So, anyways, you can go to the Retro Dodo, and that we have the link in our show notes. Item number two from Retrodoto. Uh, somebody is making Sega and Sony, Sony gaming watches. Now, these are quite literally a plastic wristband watch where, uh, you know, cheesy little digital watch, but the watch itself is the console. So there's a PlayStation 1 here and a Sega yeah, Saturn. Yeah, and Saturn. Yeah. And you press a button, press a button the, the lid flips the lid open to where the disc would be, and there's a little watch in there, a little clock. <laughs> <laughs> so... You know, they, yeah, these are silly. <laughs> yeah, they're are, you sure, are you sure these are real news items? <laughs> I, I know, right? Um, yeah. And maybe they're not. Maybe the joke's on me right now. But uh, let me see. It, they named a brand. It's Takara Tommy Arts. Have perfectly recreated the original PS1, the PS1, uh, both color variants of the Sega Saturn for us to wear on our wrists. Um, That's pretty. That's real. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, there's the there's another shake. When, where are these yeah. available? I'm, I'm gonna try to check my own my own news here. Here you go. Here's the Nelsonic Zelda game watch. It's Nelsonic. It's the same company I was talk, talking about with the Pac-Man watch. Yeah. Funny. See see that form factor the Zelda one. That's exactly what the Pac-Man one looked like, except it was Pac-Man. I, it so was I remember seeing the Zelda one in the Sears Wish Book every year and going, "Man, video game like on my wrist. How cool is that?" Yep. And I had the, the Pac-Man one exactly look like that, except it was Pac-Man themed. The thing is, Pac-Man would make sense. Like, that'd be playable. Yeah. I don't know how the Zelda would be playable, but <clears throat> anyways. All right, so there's that one. Here's the last item, and this is probably the weirdest of the three, Eric. Okay. Uh, to celebrate the 30th <laughs> anniversary of Sonic, Sega yeah. is selling Sonic-scented candles. So you've got the blue uh, Break the Limits Gotta Go Fast candle, which sm- smells like a blue hedgehog. We all know what that smells like. I, I, I can only imagine. Um, and then there's, uh, I'm guessing, a yellow one for Tails. There's a yellow one here. And then there's a pink one here for, and I, I don't remember her name, but the, the 
I don't even know what she is. Not a hedgehog. The pink girl. No Sonic. idea. There's Tails. Yeah. Um. So there you go. I like this question. What are these candles made from? 100% natural soy wax and added essential oils. There's nothing funky or harmful to be found in them anywhere. <laughs> wow. Oh, Amy. Her name is Amy. Amy Rose's candle is currently only available from the UK Sega store. So if you want Amy Rose, the pink one, you've got to go to the UK. Kind of wonder what they smell like, though. That's, uh, that's the big question. Yeah. Hopefully it's nothing like... Um, Oh, I can't remember her name who came out with the candle that smelt like a body part. We'll pass. <laughs> Look, I can't remember her name right now. We'll, we'll, we'll move on from there. Uh, Tim's got one. You want to read this one, Eric? Sure. At Reset64 has announced that prolific VIC-20 developer Derek, who did the awesome port of Chucky Egg, which was awesome on the VIC. I played mm-hmm. that. It was great is now close to completing Deep Scan that is a Sega Gremlin arcade game from 1978. Now, I, I've never heard of Deep Scan. Have you heard of that? That sounds um, like a, a political issue from the 70s. Deep Scan. Deep Scan. And look, at we're playing the video now. This is showing the, the uh, arcade gameplay of Deep Scan, which is a... Yeah. Uh, like a battleship. Like I guess you're scanning for submarines and trying to drop bombs from your destroyer on these uh, submarines. Yeah. So that's interesting. So those are like uh, the ships called those depth charges, right? Where you would drop an explosive down and it would explode at a certain depth. Yeah, trying to trying to hit a sub somewhere in the vicinity. Yeah. It's a, it's a, I mean, that's a neat game concept. I've never played Deep Scan from 1979. I've never seen that arcade game anywhere. But, I mean, it looks like a pretty cool game. I mean, honestly, yeah. if they just replace the subs with, yeah. with pictures of fish, it looks like you're just trying to feed fish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Little pieces of food are floating to the bottom, trying to hit them. And then the when, they eat, when they eat the food, they go boom. Ah, there, you finally hit one. That looks like a yeah. hard game, honestly. It it does it looks challenging for sure, but the I think the graphics look neat for the Vic. That would be pretty sweet. Here's a news item I thought was entertaining. Yeah, so, when you think of Oakland, California, Eric, what do you think of? <laughs> when I think of Oakland, California, I think of crime. <laughs> you think of crime? That's kind of been the thing. Uh, yeah. Oakland, uh, there's good parts of Oakland, and I think parts of it oh, are yeah, getting sure. better, but uh, it is very you know crime dense. Uh, yep. So I had to laugh out loud when I saw this headline, which is tens of thousands left without internet as multiple bullets hit an Oakland Xfinity fiber cable. <laughs> what, so, a, what a random occurrence. So Oakland lost its internet because, uh, and I they actually have a picture down here. Hold on. I have to decline all here. There's a picture. So the wires are are up, you know, hanging telephone line style. They're overhead fiber lines. Yeah. And somebody was shooting and yeah, I mean, you can, the bolts went right through this fiber cable. <laughs> a couple Jeez, of them. Please look at that. That's that's insane. That that a bullet. There's so many bullets flying around Oakland. That one just <laughs> happens to hit the fiber cable. <laughs> what are the chances of that? Oh, here's the best part. The outage came the day of the San Francisco 49ers NFL game against the Los Angeles Rams, kicking off at 4:30. Uh, some services were stored before it began, but around 20,000 were still offline by 6 p.m. So. Uh, so, yeah, the actual art- article says, uh, yeah, 30,000 people impacted. Listen, I'm not a fan of Xfinity, but in that little blurb that you were scrolling through, it was like they, give, they they gave their sincere apologies for not being able to 
get it back online. But it's honestly not Xfinity's fault. I mean, the people that shot it should be apologized. So the, the part I love about this is I know we have a decent sized uh, uh, European audience. Yeah. And we're just stupid Americans with guns. And this just reinforces yeah. all that. Like we're, we're shooting our own fiber lines. <laughs> yeah. We're like shooting ourselves literally in the digital foot. Like, like I'm sure those guys that shot it were like, Hey, my TV's out. Oh man. Well, that's, that's well, that's all right. We already got Canada earlier. Cause uh, the guy from Canada is now uh, in jail for stealing Nintendo's yeah. money. So all, um, all of North all, America. All all things aside, as a little side note about Oakland is I spent a summer in Oakland hanging out with my friend whose dad lived in Oakland, and I spent a summer there and had a, a, an amazing time. So Oakland's not all bad. <laughs> Funny. Yeah. Oh, so, good this next gracious. one is sad, and, and I uh, – yep. There's more to this article, too, so that, that I'll discuss. So we'll discuss this together. This is – we, you and me were both very bullish about the Amico, the Intellivision Amico. And we talked about it. We've talked about it a ton on the show. And they really, I think, are having trouble delivering what they promised. And I don't know if it's mismanagement of funds or if it is they bit off more than they could chew. I have no idea. But um, Tommy Tallarico, the, the founder of Intellivision Entertainment, um, and its CEO has stepped down as CEO. Now he's still involved in the company, but I, and I don't know what his title is. I, something about creative. He's now a creative. He's all about putting a spin on the truth to make it sound like it's, everything's a positive when it's clearly a negative. Yeah, it's clearly a negative. And they've been doing like we brought to, we, we discussed this on the show is that they were selling those boxes uh, for the games, but all they had in there were like a digital code to download the game eventually. So it was really just kind of an empty box. It yep. wasn't even a cartridge or anything. And that, that to me smacked of a money grab. And then now they're actually going into some, I don't know what it's called. Some forum where they're trying to raise more money. Like you could become an investor. It's kind of a Kickstarter for investing in companies, I guess. Yes, exactly. I don't know what it's called, but it's like a, some kind of, some kind of like, thing where if you're an investor and you have thousands of dollars, you can go invest this in some probably for some kind of profit chunk of the of the company. But this is never gonna it's never gonna work because this no. isn't gonna make a profit if it ever even sees the light of day. And listen, you you and me I think had our hearts in the right place because this is a this looked like a fun co-op machine. It looked like a fun family machine. Like I I dug the whole concept that it wasn't just this killer Xbox that had the greatest graphics chip in the world. And people online were saying, well, dude, it's like pretty much like Android. It's underpowered. It's piece of crap or whatever. I never felt that way. I was like, I don't care the power of a machine. I, I care about the games. And yeah. if you can sit down with your buddies on a couch with four controllers and use your phone as a controller, the, listen, the concept and idea is awesome. but it looks like the team behind television just couldn't pull it off. I don't have anything to add. I mean, that is what it is. It's, it's lame. Uh, I think you and I lost our hundred bucks. <laughs> I, th I think we're probably going to lose our hundred bucks. Yeah. yeah. Now they, they of course keep this news isn't from them. 
they keep painting a rosy picture like this is going to happen. Yeah. These are just minor setbacks. We're going to make this happen. I'm I am mentally I've checked out already. I've lost. Well, Eric, you have the opportunity to become an investor in an amazing new startup. Eric, well, I, I, I'm already an investor. I already gave him a hundred bucks, <laughs> so I'm not giving any more. And I'm hoping that now the the now here's the thing, Cody. So obviously, What's we're the not going to be able to get our money back. But what if you get an email in three four months this summer, late this summer? You get an email saying we're ready to go. I mean, we we'll be able to ship this by Christmas because I know that's coming. It's going to be Christmas. But let's say in October you get an email saying, "Hey, send us the other two hundred bucks or whatever it was, and we'll send you the Amico on for Christmas." Would you do it? I think at this point I'm going to say, "Oh, awesome! Go ahead and give me my hundred bucks back, please." Yeah. Thank you for acknowledging that I gave you a hundred bucks. I'd like it back because of a couple things. I mean, if they actually get it off the ground, great. But when we put our hundred bucks down, yeah. It had just gone up from one forty nine ninety nine to one ninety nine ninety nine with some free games added. That's right. So the value is still kind of there, and we had some like vouchers to get some more games. That's right. Now it's three forty nine. Yep, three forty nine. So it would be two hundred fifty bucks more to continue. With what I'm seeing, I mean, at one forty nine, I was down at two hundred, which is kind of a stretch, but the free games made it work. It's yeah. not worth three hundred fifty dollars. I mean, the couch co op thing is cool, but not three hundred fifty dollars cool. And we're looking, and we're starting to get into the realm of the OLED switch or a PS5 or an Xbox Series S or X. I mean, and those, I mean, like I said, I'm, that's not all, what it all means to me, but but those are real. I, you know, no, those are actual real. I wish there, I wish there was a way to to flip a switch and have them just be like, hey, you know what? All the stuff we're working on, the thing we promised, the hardware's not making sense. Sorry, we tried to make it happen, but it doesn't happen. However, we still have all these games and the concept that we wanted to sell people for X amount of dollars. You can download the environment we've created on your PlayStation or Xbox or whatever. Once you're in there, you can download games, whatever, individually on that system. Yeah. And it's still a family co-op, and we are not gonna, we're not going to do everything we said we'd do, but using the hardware we already have. Exactly. Like, like, cool. like, like uh, what I was familiar with was the Xbox, so... They used to have the Xbox Arcade. Do you remember that? Like you could go in the Xbox Arcade and download a bunch of games that were tailor-made and they were cheap, four bucks, three bucks, whatever. Make a little area called the Amico area on a PS5 or whatever and just say, hey, come, come, come grab these. And maybe even, maybe even you can buy like a controller for 60 bucks. That is the cool little Amico controller. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sell those, but don't, don't do the hardware anymore. Just sell little gimmicky controllers i think the controllers the controllers had so much stuff in there i think it's where most of the money was hardware wise honestly but yeah i do hope that rather than just lose 100 bucks they at least do something like that and give us access for 100 bucks like hey you you can have every game that we created in the environment since you paid 100 bucks i don't know we'll see we'll see what happens i don't expect anything if not, I mean, they're going to lose a lot. All those people involved are going to lose a lot of reputation points, right? I mean, is Tommy Tallarico going to ever be able to to really do anything anymore? I mean, is anyone going to believe him for yeah, anything? Yeah, I think he just killed his cred, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, tell me about the game, because I, I took a look at this. I, I looked at the link, and I, I'm very interested in this. So tell me about this. Well, Rogue, we talked about Rogue 64 coming out last month. We were very excited about that. A Rogue game for the Commodore 64. It looks well done. You guys played it. I haven't yet. 
uh, not to be well, outdone. Oh, what's yeah. that, Eric? I loved it. I mean, there was a. If you love Rogue games, Rogue sixty four is one of the pinnacles for the Commodore sixty four. It is amazing. I'm so, excited to play my copy, uh, which I know has been purchased, but I, I'm going to wait for my physical copy now. But right on. Uh, Retro Souls made a game not to be outdone for the uh, ZX Spectrum. Sinclair yeah. ZX Spectrum. Uh, Retro Souls. Right, 128k so i think yeah. my next can handle it um yeah. actually because i hope they make a uh, i hope they make a next modified version that would be cool i'm sure they won't that would but be cool. yeah uh these guys i know they make good stuff because i've played old tower which is a great game that they made for the for the spectrum um yeah. they also created gluff twin light alter ego and termaline i think i played termaline as well I played uh, termaline too. Yeah. yeah uh it's called tiny dungeons and it is a bright colorful as almost all spectrum games are uh cool little roguelite so we're looking at videos of it now and uh, i downloaded it i bought it off of uh, itch.io a couple bucks is all they're asking and um i think you can technically if you want you can download it without paying and um but i would suggest you try it fall in love with it and then pay them a few bucks typically what i try to do yeah but uh looks looks really cool that's all i'm going to say about it it's uh it looks like a roguelike. You move your guy around. Every time you take a step, the enemies take a step. Um, it looks like you do something to shoot magic projectiles. Um, you have health, you have defense, you have magic, you have lives, you have yep. keys you're finding. The beautiful thing is it's almost like a. it's not a 100% top-down. It almost looks like a shifted kind of 3D a little bit you know what i mean it's, it's yeah, hard the, to explain yeah, i mean it's pure yeah, 2d it's pure. top down but the uh, the way the sprites are drawn the walls are drawn it has uh yeah almost like a three-quarter angle on it yeah a little tilt to it which gives it some uh texture some depth texture. Ooh, texture yeah texture i think it looks fantastic and when i watch this video the sound lo- sounds really good too so i'm in i'm gonna i'm gonna grab this for sure that looks yep. solid uh, next on our list of things that are news to us, Tim mm-hmm. has one here. Yeah, you want uh, me to read ahead. that? Yeah, go for it. ZX Spectrum next tweet out. Wait, I'm, I'm yeah. speaking like an idiot. ZX no, that's, Spectrum that's, how, that's how he wrote it. <laughs> tweet out render of new revision of the next two board. Hoping for more actual solid information on when we will see the next, but an update nonetheless. He, he just did a little link to the tweet, which we'll put in the show notes. But, um, this is another one. I'm 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 waiting with bated breath for my ZX Spectrum next, which I paid for. It's fully paid for. I got the Pi Zero accelerator. I am just waiting for this thing to arrive, and I don't know when it's going to happen. I mean, I'm I'm bummed it, out by all these supply chain issues and shipping issues, and and the, and that stuff's all real. I mean, there's no joke that all yeah. of these things are real. Um, mm-hmm. The thing is, the Spectrum next has already been released once. Uh, the second back order has gotten much higher because people actually have seen it re- shipped. I have one myself. Yep. Um, if I wanted to be a jerk, I could probably sell it now and buy a n- new one later for less, but I won't yep. because I love that thing. Um, but it's, it is kind of bizarre to me that they're doing all kinds of new board iterations and changing things when realistically people just wanted the next. Yes, um, but... If you read the updates, the reason they had to redo the board is because some of the chips are not available. So they had to buy replacement chips, and that's why they're doing all the modifications. So to try to get the thing out the door because yes. of chip shortage, they're using other chips. That just makes me nervous. 
I'm not saying I'm, I'm not saying they're right or wrong. That just makes me nervous because, again, uh, I, I feel like when the uh, next Kickstarter finished, we weren't into yeah. this. We weren't in the supply chain issues yet. That's right. And I'm, that's I guess my point is I, I, you know, in hindsight, and I'm not them. I'd probably make bad decisions in, in hindsight as well. But if they would have just at that point made more nexts based on the exact same design, just with the modern yeah. firmware, yeah, cool. Like people would have been happy. I think so. I think you're right, and uh, I'm just I'm looking forward to it. I, I I think they'll ship it. Of course, I don't I don't think I'm going to lose my money on this, but I did pay a lot, and I'm I'm really looking forward to when it finally ships. And I'm 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 just crossing my fingers it's going to be this year sometime. And of course, uh, for <laughs> we're talking as if everyone knows what we're talking about. This is excuse me, a modern recreation of the British microcomputer the ZX Spectrum. Uh, if they were to have gone to the next version of it after the 128K version of the Spectrum, um, yep. which, of course, there was a few different reiterations of it, and uh, they basically said if there was a modern version of it, what would it be? And this, they created this. I mean, they legitimately created an all-new piece of hardware based off of some of the original chips and design specs. Uh, even, uh, I apologize, I don't remember his name at the moment, but even the guy who designed the original, a couple of the original models of the ZX Spectrum made the design for the ZX Spectrum Next. And it's gorgeous. It feels really good to type on this really cool clicky keyboard with the little half moons on it. Um, yeah. It's got all the cues and design cues of the originals modernized. I, I think it's very cool. Still uses DB9 controller ports. I say still uses because the original the original oh. ones didn't actually have DB9 controller ports. You had to buy like additional cards to plug controllers in, huh? Yeah, you had to buy the Kempston interface or, or something like that. But you know, they could have cheaped out and just said, well, let's just throw in a USB ports, you know, like a Raspberry Pi, but they didn't. They put the proper ports on there to play with your old school joysticks. Um, I mean, the way I see it, you get the best of all the worlds. You get a 48K Specky, you get a 128K Specky with all the proper chips and, well, I mean, recreate an FPGA, of course. And then you also get this new computer, the Next, that can run more sophisticated software. So I mean it it really is the it's it's um a recreation of something old but also something new. I think it's yeah. really neat. Very cool. Yeah. Uh I can't go an episode without mentioning Stone Age Gamer, even though they don't pay us to say it, Eric. I just Exactly, yeah. I always go here and there's always some new thing that I never knew about on the Stone Age Gamer. I have to talk about it because it's news to me. And I've been wanting to get a virtual boy for quite a while kind of in that category, kind of like the Power Glove. I just want to own the hardware just to have it on the shelf. Sure. Um, I'd love, obviously, a Virtual Boy, I'd actually try to play, and I'd actually probably get the uh, flash card for it and do the whole thing. Now, the problem with the Virtual Boy, most of them don't work anymore, and it's because of, uh, from what I hear, for the most part, it's, well, two things. Uh, one is the little accessories you need to hold the Virtual Boy. Now, the Virtual Boy, it's almost like, um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's a Nintendo console, I guess, kind of console. Uh, it almost looks like those, um, what are those things you used to press the button and go to the different slides and put them up to your eyes? Yeah, the, uh, what is that, uh, the, it was like, uh, the... Uh, I can't remember what it's called. Well, I can't, I can't believe I forgot you this. You put, like, I, the I round disc that. in there that had, like, 16 images, and you'd press a little button on the slide. And, anyways, it looks almost like a version of that. And then to... to, to Viewmaster. Viewmaster, yes, thank you. It almost looks like a big Viewmaster. <laughs> 
but in order for you to play games on it, you have to have a controller. But then where does the Viewmaster go? So then they have this like weird foot stand thing that holds the Viewmaster up in the air, or the, in this case, the uh, the Virtual Boy up in the air. And then, of course, you have too much light, so then they have these little visors that you have to go on the side of the Viewmaster to block out the light from your eyes. And you got to like shove your head in there, and people get migraines. It's all black and red. The color is red inside there, but it yeah, allows you to see. Yeah, all the games were monochrome, just red and black. Black and red. <laughs> Uh, but it was 3D, and it was true 3D. And I remember um, a friend yeah. had one of these when I was a kid, and I remember seeing it and being pretty impressed that it actually worked. Yeah. Um, so the problem and with I that... Listened, yeah, and I listened to a podcast that said a lot of the games are actually quite good. They're not just gimmicky little 3D games that were thrown on this thing. They, they actually, were made by legit Nintendo programmers that were trying to make the very best games they could. Absolutely. So basically... Yep. Uh, at this point, I knew you could get replacement stands. I knew you can get replacement eye shades and a replacement uh, the eye shade holder. Um, but the big issue that stopped me from ever getting one of these, besides the price, was even if, if you found one that was uh, close to working, they have these little ribbon cables that go to each of the little screens for each eye. So there's two yeah. ribbon cables, and they're almost always just the glue or whatever they use to, to build those things. They're almost always failed. And so either one eye or the other eye or both are just not working. <clears throat> and they're, like, really okay. difficult, like, microscopic, like, almost impossible to, to put back together. So that's yeah. the big issue is, like, yeah, you might be able to get one for 200 bucks, but it's not working. And you're probably going to ruin it trying. Or else you can buy one working for, like, 400 bucks. Right. RetroGamer.com, Eric, sells not only the stands now, not only the eye shades, not only the eye shade holder... They now have this device right here, which is brand new to me. The hence it's on the news for only forty four ninety nine. This is a virtual ribbon replacement kit for the Nintendo Virtual Boy. Wow! How cool is this? Um, They're just literally selling the parts and pieces to refurbish all these old uh, Virtual Boys that are not working. Yeah. So, uh, does your Virtual Boy have lines in the image? Because so. All, all these old devices, including handhelds and things like that, they have these ribbon cables, and each one of those individual uh, ribbons is drawing a one horizontal row across your screen of pixels. So okay. if you have you know, a screen that's, I'm just going to pick a number, 50 pixels high, you got 50 lines on one ribbon cable that if one of them goes out, you're gonna see, that line's just going to be dark, always. And you know, on these, like half of them are out, so it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so there you go, blah, 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 glue failed in the past 25 years. Enter the virtual ribbon. Unlike existing solutions that melt or patch the 25-year-old lackluster cable, the virtual ribbon is 100% replacement adapter that solders into place. It's very sturdy. And it's an upgrade designed to outlive the weak humans that dare to explore the realm of the virtual boy. Um, so you get two unassembled PCB sets. You get two ribbon cables and two connectors. Connectors. Uh, and here's the, here's the catch. Install notes. These boards require expert soldering skills. Must be good with 0.5 millimeter pitch installs. Um, that would be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I would send it to them because they offer the they offer the um, service to actually install it. Because I read that, that in the last screen. That they do. So, um, so there substantially it is more. Perfect. Yeah. So yeah, right as of right now, it's forty five dollars for the kit, or uh, let's just call it two hundred dollars altogether to have the kit installed with your unit. So yeah. Anyways, there's finally a solution for that. So thought that's pretty cool. That is awesome. I think that is really cool. I might actually try it myself first, and if I fail, then pay two hundred bucks to have them do it all over again. Because right. that's a that's a as we said a lot last episode. That's a spicy meatball. 
That is a spicy meatball for That's sure. A spicy meatball. I actually well, went back. This is and- part you and part Tim. So read the next one here. Well, I, I was going to tell you. I actually went back and finally yeah. saw the commercial that was from. I've always yeah. said it because it's like a saying, but I finally went back because someone said that's a great commercial, and I looked it up, and it's, I'm like, oh, okay, that's the commercial they're talking about. What was it a commercial for? Do you remember? Uh, it was a commercial for uh, Alka-Seltzer. Oh, man, I, I didn't know that. The guy, the whole point of the commercial is the guy is sitting there trying to advertise a pasta sauce and or a meatball or whatever, and he had to keep eating the same meatball over and over and over again and kept d- redoing takes, and all of a sudden he got indigestion because he ate too many meatballs. <laughs> so you had to go take some El- Alka-Seltzer. There you go. There's your retro minute. That's right. Little trivia. Little trivia night here on uh, Pixel Guiding. All right. So I added my name to this. Tim put this on there, and that's because Tim wanted to talk about one aspect of the Nintendo Direct, whereas I want to talk about the entire Nintendo Direct, Eric. Uh, that's so, fine. I didn't watch it, and I didn't hear much about it. So I, this is all news to me. So I'm going to give my take on it first, which is... So Nintendo Direct, if you guys don't know, uh, if you're a retro gamer, for the most part, Eric and I think that the modern console you want to use to, to enjoy retro gaming type experiences is the Nintendo Switch. Correct. Um, and Nintendo, every few months, will do a Direct in which they basically put a small little presentation together, video presentation you can watch, kind of giving all kinds of modern uh, or updates on stuff coming out and what's coming up for Nintendo. And they do a lot of cool stuff, like surprises, like, hey, here's a brand new game no one's ever heard about, and now you're all excited, and it releases today. And everyone goes nuts. You know, it's actually, it's not all just future hype. It's it's cool. cool. Yeah. Uh, so the one thing that that uh, Tim was excited about, um, oh, I, I'm sorry, let me say one more thing. This particular Direct, I would say, is the most exciting for retro gamers. It covered a ton of things that retro gamers would be excited about. Uh, not a ton of, like, new modern releases but retro stuff is highly heavy on this on this particular direct okay. uh, so the one that tim wanted to point out is that uh starting on march 18th mario kart 8 deluxe of which we all love will start uh, it says we'll get a total of 48 new tracks uh between and here's the kicker march 2022 and the end of 2023 oh wow they will so be released well, yeah, here, I'll, I'll go into that. They will be released uh, split between six different DLC updates. This is a bit nuts to me. So at first, is, I, was, I was very excited about this at first. Uh, the, first yeah. the first wave will include, include tracks from the Wii, N64, and DS versions of Mario Kart. And then uh, Tim had to put this at the end. Let's go! <laughs> Let's go! Let's go! So I'm going to click on this. I, I, and he has another thing he wants to talk about down below, but I put the, the link to IGN because uh, they go over everything quickly. Um, I'm not going to make you watch videos or anything. I'm just going to read what I was excited about. But the yeah. big, the, you know, the, the biggest one for most people, um, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is announced, by the way. That's not the big one. Mario Kart Deluxe, 48 new tracks with paid DLC. So they're releasing each booster pack, which is a DLC download, for $24.99 for eight tracks. That's kind, of, that's kind of a spicy meatball. That is a spicy meatball. And... What's what is forty eight divided by six? Uh, so yeah, twenty so two hundred dollars in if you want all forty eight yep. tracks over the next two years. Two hundred dollars. That's that's not going to fly. Now it says well, I don't play Mario Kart enough. I mean, I love Mario Kart. I play I do play it now and then, but 
I probably haven't played it loaded up in over a year. I'm not really that interested in that unless you're playing online. Like, like <clears throat> the, the pressure in this kind of game comes when all your friends buy the extra tracks and you don't because then you, <laughs> can't, you can't play them. But I don't play with anyone online, so it really wouldn't interest me that much unless I got – unless I would do it if a bunch of my friends played online and, and it was worth doing. All right. I just realized something, and I made a bit of an error here. Okay. So – the twenty four ninety nine will get you, and this is a very modern thing to say, but it'll get you the booster course pass. Okay. So I don't know if that's a yearly cost. Okay. Or whatever, but basically you'll get those tracks. As they come out, you'll have access to those tracks. Um, for but, free? But it does say, well, not for free, for, for the, if you have the pass for 25 bucks. I'm guessing, okay. I'm okay. guessing per, okay. I'm guessing per year? Yeah. I don't know. But it does say it'll also be free to all members of the Nintendo Switch Online Plus expansion pack. Yep, which so I have the online, but I didn't get the expansion pack. And I, I w- didn't either because it wasn't worth it to me. But now that these are on there, maybe it will be. So maybe it's maybe, working. Maybe it's working. Maybe it so. will be. Yeah, maybe it will be. So okay. I'm just going to burn through these real quick and, uh, and try not to bore anybody who have, have stuff that's not interesting. But a uh, new Fire Emblem Warriors game coming out for the Switch. This was yep. this was one that was neat to me. So Mario Strikers Battle League. So a lot of people know about Mario Strikers, which is the Mario version of a, of a soccer game or a football game, depending on what you want to call it. Uh, came out on, I think, the uh, Wii, I believe, had Mario Strikers. Okay. Now, what's cool about this, Eric, and I, this one I actually will try to play the video for, um, I can see this becoming a huge like tournament game. Tournament game. Okay. I, and I don't know for I, sure, I but I, I'm getting vibes of like a... Uh, Smash Bros. So it, okay. it is. Even if you watch the direct, they don't call it soccer. They say a soccer-like game. So it's five on five. Uh, I think realistically, you have have four players on each team, so eight players at once. And I think the goalies are automatic, something like that. Uh, you're kind of watching the video here, but it's crazy because it's soccer, but. Um, you can be, of course, Nintendo characters, and they have different stats. You can like upgrade armor and have different things. Uh, there's like power moves where multiple balls end up on the screen. Um, it's and, and like there's ways to make certain types of goals that are worth two points instead of one. It almost reminds me of a mix between Smash Bros. Obviously, uh, uh, Smash Bros. What's what's the oh shoot what's that um, the Amiga game the Powerball what's it called? Sensible soccer? No, no, no. The uh, the one with where you? Oh yeah, speedball. Speedball. It's almost like speedball meets Smash Bros meets Windjammers. Yeah. There's kind of okay. It's it's it looks like it's a ton of fun, and I'm I never thought I'd be so excited about a Mario soccer game, but it looks super cool. I mean, there's weapons. Like- there's the red the red turtle shells that they're knocking people out. Kind of a hockey vibe there, or or a speedball vibe. Um, there's. You know, you're spending in in game cash, uh, not real cash, in game cash to upgrade helmets and things. Um, there's all kinds of bars and power moves, and I just it's, it looks so fun. It I'm actually really excited fun. for this. Yeah, and I I'm not even though I don't I'm not a big soccer fan. Uh, I love soccer games. My son got me into FIFA, and I played Sensible Soccer on the Amiga. I do like that one, even though I'm not very good at it. This this looks like it'd be a blast though, and especially online if they if they have it online. Yeah, and it's a super small field compared to real soccer, which means the action's constant. It's yeah. all about um, it's all very heavy based on the offense, so it's yeah. gonna be high scoring. Oh man, just, it looks really fun. <laughs> I'm 
I can see it's a huge party game, huge party game. Yeah, and I, I can imagine most of these games support this, where like if you don't want to battle your friends, you all your friends can be on one team yeah. and battling someone else online. Which, which reminds me, that you and I need to get back to uh, Super Blood Hockey. Super oh. Super Blood Hockey. We had a lot of fun with that. Yeah, we, we need to make that, that happen again. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, next item on the docket here, Chrono Cross is being remastered, and that's coming out yeah. for the Switch April seventh. Which I haven't played that one yet. That's the uh, you know the the second game in the Chrono Trigger series. I believe that was on PlayStation. Uh, looks awesome. And I, didn't play that, I didn't play that one either, so it'd be new to me. Uh, this is the one that Tim was excited about. Nintendo Switch Sports announced, and it's a new take on Wii Sports. Uh, I'll read. I'll read his real quick. Of course, Wii Sports being the. Uh, I think the number one game sold on the Wii and therefore like one of the highest selling games ever. Yeah. Um, He said a reboot of one of the biggest selling console games of all time. It includes some of the classics like soccer bowling, but also some new events like badminton, which I actually thought looked really cool. And Chumbara, which I've never heard of that, but I watched, if you watch the game, it's like a jousting kind of. Okay. And that's scheduled for April 29th. So looks kind of cool. Yeah. Um, Triangle, triangle Strategy, which is a new uh, strategy came again, coming out that we've talked about, I think, before. This is a big one. People have been clamoring for Front Mission for a while. And I think a I lot even, of the Front Mission games only came out in Japan, I believe. I don't even know what Front Mission is. You'll be into the, the concept here. Uh, remakes okay. of Front Mission and Front Mission 2 are coming out for the, the Switch, and I'll just show you real quick here. It's like tactical gameplay uh, based on mechs. Oh, I do. I, <clears> I love mech games. Yeah, so, of course, we've got to watch our McDonald's advertisement. Oh, Wendy's advertisement here first. (laughs) Dang it. Which they're showing their, like, uh, iced coffee. And I've tried Wendy's iced coffee. You don't need Wendy's iced coffee. Trust me, you don't want that. Uh, So, Square Enix and Forever Entertainment teaming up to make Front Mission. And then, of course, there's a bunch of, like, cutscenes and things that don't show the gameplay. Come on, show some Front Mission gameplay. Really? You're not going to show any gameplay. They didn't show any gameplay in that. Wow. I hate that. Yeah. Well, it looks cool. It's it's tactical. Okay. You'd yeah. have to see it. It almost reminds me of... Um, uh, what's um, XCOM? Kind of a kind of style, but with mechs. I lo- and I love XCOM. Yeah. Yep. So that would be awesome. Splatoon 3, huh? Splatoon 3 is coming out, and it actually that actually looks really cool as well. Uh, Metroid Dread... Eh, 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 eh your favorite game metroid dread has a free update adding dread mode so a harder mode eric but it's also it's adding <laughs> it's also adding rookie mode eric uh, well now there you go that might be the price of admission for me there rookie mode there you go a new kirby game is coming out it looks pretty cool but it is definitely just exactly what you'd think a new 3d kirby game would look like here's yep. a big one eric yeah earthbound so- earthbound beginnings so earthbound now they're calling it earthbound beginnings i believe that is uh, is that mother it's an NES game. It definitely looks like an NES game. Uh, I'm going to press play, but I know it's going to go to another Wendy's commercial or something, so it's going to take forever. Um, I, I, but I, I think you're right. I think that Earthbound Beginnings was the one that was Mother, and then that was that happened before the events of Earthbound or something like that. I don't, I don't know for sure, but... Gotcha. Um, I yeah, but... I, I told you I think I got about more than halfway through Earthbound. I want to play. I still have not played Earthbound. I want to play it. So here's Earthbound. Yep. Looking all Earthboundy. Yep. Um, looking all cool. 
And then they said beginnings, which I was actually watching the direct, so I didn't know this ahead of time. So when I saw this, I'm like, what? Uh, yeah. But this clearly looks like an NES game compared to the other one, which is clearly yeah, it's a Super very, Nintendo game. Uh, very rudimentary, I guess, would be the, the So term. I'm pretty sure this is Mother, maybe Mother 2, something like that. I don't know. Okay. But uh, retro game retro gamers rejoice. It's coming to Nintendo Switch Online, which you and I already do have, Eric. So and the cool thing about online is they do include the manuals. And yeah. I'm hoping that they, with Earthbound, they include the player handbook, the guide. Um, it that is an essential part of Earthbound. Having the guide. Uh, once I started, once I started to play it, the guide is important. It gives you clues and guides you through the game in a way that actually makes it a lot more fun. So, okay, I've to this day I've never used a guide. So um, no, that's well, not to say one, that's not yeah, to say I haven't gone on. The, yeah. Oh, that's true. That's true. That, I, that's not to say I haven't gone online to find solutions because I'm beating my head against the wall. I'm just I've never used yeah. an actual guide, which you you and worked at one, Prima, so you you lived around guides for a while. I did, but this is different. This one came with every version of the game. So this one was a, included, and I would say is an integral part of the play experience with it. Cool, cool. Yep. We already know about this one, but April eighth, uh, Advance Wars one plus two reboot will be coming and that's out. That's my birthday. And I'm definitely going to get that. I love Advanced Wars, and uh, I've talked about this in the past. I won't beat a dead horse, but uh, the, when you get to the last levels, they're a little too hard. They're a little too specific to beat, and they de- they, they apparently did address the difficulty curve on the last levels. Yeah. So they'll be beatable, which is good. This is another one, big one for retro gamers. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of a game called Live Alive. It's coming to the West for the first time. So another uh, JRPG that uh, we've heard wonderful things about, but it's never been officially translated. Well, now Nintendo has officially translated it, and it's coming out for uh, the Nintendo Switch. I've never heard of it. Um, and the same thing, I'd show you a video of it, but it looks like a, um, I believe it's a Super Nintendo game. It's, it's, but it's coming out with an HD 2D style, so it's kind of, it looks like Octopath Traveler. Yeah, um, but it's so it's like a reimagined version, kind of like uh, Chrono Cross was we just talked about. And then, no no surprise to anybody, Switch is releasing a bunch of games that came out like ten years ago, but charging full price for them again. So Portal <laughs> One and Two, which are brilliant games, yeah. if you haven't played them, go ahead and buy this. I, I they're hilarious. Yeah, uh, I, I, Portal Two might be in my top ten, ten games of all time. Uh, MLB the Show is coming out for the Switch, which is big news for the Switch. Uh, an old Star Wars The Force Unleashed game was announced again. Old game from 2008, now available on Switch for full price. Uh, <laughs> this actually looked cool, which is surprising. It's now, it, now, the problem is it's free to play, which tells me there's going to be all kinds of weird you know, catches. But Disney Speedstorm Racing come out on Switch. It's uh, Disney and Pixar characters. And uh, it looks like, you know, I don't think they're obviously going to completely go after and take over any of the Mario 8 crowd, Mario Kart 8 crowd. But it looks like a pretty legit... Um, I wouldn't even call it a kart racer. It's almost like its own style of racer. It's, it's kart racer, but it's faster and more um, more intense looking, but with Disney characters, if that makes any sense. Uh, watch some video here. There you go. Yeah. But, it, I mean, it's a kart racer, kind of. Yeah. But it looks it looks good. Kind of excited about that. Here we go. Here's another one. Where t- like I just said, games that are old that are just now coming to the Switch for full price. No Man's Sky traveling to the Switch this summer. Yeah. Here we go. Retro Gamers Rejoice. Klonoa, The Door to Phantom Mail, and Klonoa 2, 
make their way to the Switch this July. Wow. And these That's are pretty cool. And these are also HD uh, up, up-resed versions of the originals, and they look absolutely great. Those were amazing games, some of the highest-rated games on the PlayStation 1 and 2, respectively, I believe. Yeah, the last Klonoa game I played was on my Wonderswan. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And that was kind of a different vibe, though, than the PlayStation yeah. games, but it still looked yeah, pretty like- good. Um, I already mentioned this on the show before. I'm excited about this more than probably any of this. The Cuphead, the delicious last course paid DLC is going to be uh, added to Cuphead on June 30th. So I will be buying that because I love Cuphead. And Assassin's Creed's coming out. So there you go. More old games. Kingdom Hearts coming out. More old games. Uh, I'm trying to remember if there's anything else here. And there's a few other things they, they pointed out. But those are the big ones. So retro gamers rejoice. There's a lot of retro gaming coming to the Switch shortly. Yeah. It is definitely the platform to get into if you want retro games. Uh, this one, Eric. Yep. So I, I wanted to throw a Pico 8 game in here. Undune 2 is an, an amazing demake of the classic real-time strategy game Dune 2, uh, which has been recreated from scratch. Now, this game looks awesome for yeah. a real-time strategy game. Um, but one cool thing that I, I've, I've never seen this in any Pico 8 game it comes on multiple cartridges. So like, wow. I don't know how you do that. I guess you play one and then it asks you for cartridge two and then you pop that Insert in. Insert disc two into Exactly. It's the first X. game to me that spans multiple cartridges. But um, if you look at this game, I mean, it's got cutscenes. It's got it's got the little tiles for all the different weapons and different uh, building types. And-, and it uses the mouse. And I'm so glad that Pico 8 added mouse support because it allows games like this to, to be... Realistic. Absolutely. So and cool there looking. A, there was a period of time when I got really into real-time strategy games. Uh, Command & Conquer, Age of Empires. Um, I, 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 there was a period of time I loved them, and I played them on lands and had like huge battles and stuff. I'd love to get back into them, but um, there just aren't any new, modern, good you know, real-time strategy games, in well, my think, opinion. I think there probably are. They're just so involved now that and we don't have the time to, like, learn them and get into them, which That's something true. like this might be a good solution. Playing a little peak weight real-time strategy game, you know? It's a little, like, scaled back, so for people that don't have a lot of time, like you and me. So yeah, I, think, I think this looks great. So, so cool. I, I think I'm going to give this a spin. Yeah, I need to catch up on some peak weight Yep. Uh, last news item... Yep. For this month, uh, Tim wanted to announce that the AMI Game Jam is coming up. This is a game dev competition that has been running since July 2021 and ended on the 20- 31st of January 2022. So I guess this particular uh, jam started July 2021. All of the submissions are now available on the AMI Game Jam itch.io site, including games from Amiza- Amiga Music Legend. I don't know if he's is he a legend. Tim thinks he's a legend. We'll go with what Tim said. Yeah. But definitely a talented uh, uh, artist, I guess. DJ Hoffman. He's got a great name. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there are some Konami ports of Jackal and Nightmare and also ported Green Beret and Wonder Boy and a reimagined version of Command and Conquer. We just talked about it, Eric, called Vanilla yep. Conquer. Um, so I didn't know part, some of those were part of the Amiga Game Jam, but that's why we're seeing all these Amiga games. Now, Eric... I think I've told you about this game multiple times before, and I don't know if you've ever played it, but Nightmare from the MSX? I have, yeah. You, have you played, played it? it? Okay. Yeah. 
so this nightmare is a amiga version of that so it's an uh up-res version that looks cool to me it's like a scrolling vertical shmup but where you're a knight throwing swords at bad guys it's really cool isn't wasn't that game made by um our our buddy uh what was his name juan i can't remember his name juan uh oh he goes by redrack or rydrick or whatever yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, juan martinez juan martinez yes i'm sorry yeah juan martinez is that is that by him nightmare no, Nightmare was well. I mean, the original on the MSX was b- back in the eighties. That was a Konami back game. In the 80s. Okay, okay. Yeah, and that was a yeah. That was a, a one of the high rated Konami games. But here it is on the Amiga. I'm looking at at the itch.io page now, so we can get some more insight. But um, yeah, there it is, and all its Amiga oh, yeah. high res beauty. I have pl- I have played this before. Yeah, now that you bring the screenshot up, I, I remember playing that. I'm looking at this. Uh, uh-oh, Dream Girls Poker Night. That that doesn't look appropriate for our that family does not audience. Look appropriate, no. But, Rick Dangerous though, enhanced graphics. Jackal, which we just talked about. Um, Wonder Boy 1200. Look at that. Wonder Boy that 1200. Cool. Wonder Boy 1200. Here's your vanilla Conquer. It's just a Command and Conquer uh, <laughs> Amiga port. That would be pretty Straight interesting up. though. Yeah. Amadar, which is a great arcade game. And then somebody, I remember this one. This one's big. I'm, to me, this would be the biggest one, is that uh, Akumaju Dracula, otherwise known as Dracula Rondo of Blood, from the yeah. PC Engine, was uh, ported over for oh, AGA. Actually, yeah. I, guess, I guess it was ported over if down here it says based on the, uh, the Sharp X68000 version, which makes more sense. Yeah, which for listeners, if you're not familiar with that, it's Castlevania. Yes, it's Castlevania game. Probably considered cool. one of the best 2D side-scrolling yeah. Castlevanias before they did the uh, Metroidvania thing. Cool, cool. That is the news, Eric. Um, I think we need to go ahead and crack ourselves open a second beer before we hop into our six good games segment. However, while we go ahead and reach for our beers, Eric, yeah. I think it's time to hear what Tim has to say on Tea Time with Tim. Hey, guys. How about we take a little break? check with our friend over the pond that's right it's tea time with tim hello everyone and welcome to this month's tea time with tim and on this episode of tea time with tim we're going to talk about my recent visit to the southwest amiga group meeting I'm guessing that the vast majority of people listening to the podcast will not know anything about the Southwest Amiga group. So essentially, it's a group for like-minded people to meet up a few times a year, hang out, bring some Amigas or other related hardware, play some games, talk Amiga and retro and have a good time. So just for reference, the Southwest Amiga group is a bit of a mouthful to say all the time. So I'm just going to abbreviate it for the rest of the episode down to swag. Since I've been going to SWAG, the meetings have been taking place at Doddington Village Hall in the town of Chipping Sodbury near Bristol. If you're not familiar with English geography, Bristol is a city on the western coast of England. It's pretty much the last stop before going over the Seven Ribbon Crossing to Wales. This location is very handy for anyone who lives on the western side of England, as it's right on the intersection between the M5 and M4 motorways, or freeways for our lovely American listeners. So if you're coming from the Midwest, southwest of England, or Wales, these are all serviced by these main motorways. It's also a reasonable travelling distance from further north in Birmingham, or more to the east in places like Swindon or even Reading. 
So overall, it's a good meeting point for people who can travel around about a couple of hours to get there. I've been attending these meetings since 2019, as it's ideal for myself, living in deepest southwest England, in the county of Somerset. Dave and the team at SWAG have been working hard to arrange meetups during these recent difficult times. The last meeting I attended was January 2020, just before everything went south with COVID. The first opportunity back was September 2021. I had booked to attend again, but had to pull out at the last moment, but was feeling unwell and didn't really want to risk anything. So... On to the latest meetup. Late in 2021, the announcement came out that SWAG would be back with the yearly workbench meetup on the 5th of February 2022. This is not just the regular meetup, it's a bigger event with competitions, guest speakers, and presentations. However, as thing pr- things progressed over the winter, we all know what happened, and workbench had to be postponed due to the numbers that normally attend. However, SWAG were able to commit to a smaller meetup at Doddington Hall as restrictions were lifted just in time. So in the last few weeks, I've been busy preparing the Amiga 3000 that Josh Malone at 48k RAM swapped with me for the Amiga 1200. Thanks again, Josh. And thanks to all our wonderful patrons who support the podcast along with Josh. I've talked about the A3000 a few times and the issues and efforts getting it converted over to PAL and British Power. Also getting the RAS SCSI device all sorted. Finally, I was able to get everything working and ready to show off at SWAG. Along with Amigas at this meeting, they were also celebrating the 40th birthday of the Commodore 64. Hang on, let's say that again. The Commodore 64 is 40 years old? Yikes! So this time, they invited people not only to bring along their Amigas, but also C64s as well. This, of course, was no problem for me. I took along one of my working C64Cs, as they're rock solid and won't get cooked if I left it on all day like a bread bin. Along with that, I took the 1581 that the devilishly handsome and amazing co-host of the show, Eric, kindly sent me. A 1541-2 drive the Ultimate 1541-2 Plus, and the amazing FutureWiz 8-bit products, the Kung Fu Flash, and the Epic's Fast Load Reloaded cartridge. As well as the hardware, I took along some of my C64 games collection. I took a mixture of disc and cassette software, from disc games like Monty on the Run, Sanxion, and Alter Ego, cassette games like Delta, River Raid, Whizball, and my entire collection of Jeff Minter clamshell box collections. God, I'm such a geek. I also took along a bunch of Pixel Guide and goodies to give away, in the form of crunchy bars. So the Friday night before the event, I got everything packed up and ready to roll for early on Saturday morning. I may have mentioned on the show a couple of times that I'm a big supporter of EVs, or electric vehicles, and my car is a full BEV, which is a battery electric vehicle. So before getting some sleep for the night, I plugged my car in on the home charger to make sure I was fully juiced up, ready for the trip. On Saturday morning, I'm loaded and ready to hit the road, fully charged, and on the way to my first stop of the morning, that is a new restaurant diner on the outskirts of Bristol called Molly's Diner. Mostly because I wanted to charge the car to make sure I had enough range to get home after leaving Swag. So I didn't have to stop on the way home. 
My car has an OK range, so I knew it would make it to the venue on a single charge. But it's better to stop along the way, pop the car on charge and grab a quick bit of breakfast at the diner and then be on my way. Or so I thought. The journey up was pretty smooth and uneventful, pulling up at the diner pretty much on schedule around about 10am. There are 450 kilowatt charges at this location, and for the southwest, if you're not driving a Tesla, that's a good thing. So I thought, there's no way I'm going to get on. I'm not going to get on one of those charges. As I pulled up, three of the four charges were free. No problem, I thought. So I parked up, got out to charge the car, plugged it in, swiped my payment card, and uh, the charger said out of order. Okay, typical. I had to pick the one that wasn't working. No worries, just move to the next charger. Easy. So I moved the car, plug in, swiped the payment card, and it allowed. And I was allowed to charge as it came up on the screen. Bacon and coffee, here I come. Then, during the handshaking between the car and the charger, an error. Can't start the charge. Okay, not an issue. Unplug it, plug it back in, try again. Same error. Okay, get back into the car, move to the last remaining charger. I switch on the car. The warning lights on the car light up like a Christmas tree, and I'm going nowhere. After about 15 minutes of switching it off, locking the car, going back to it, nothing still. Eventually, I called the dealer I got the car from. They said, I'm pretty much stuck, and I'll have to call out the breakdown service they give as part of the car, the deal that I got with the car. We have several breakdown rescue services here in the UK and one of them I have is the AA or the Automobile Association. So I call the friendly helpline, give them over my details and they said it would take around 45 minutes to an hour to get to me. Okay, not ideal. I'm going to be late, but hey, at least I can get some breakfast and a coffee. So I lock up my stranded car and then trudge into the diner. The wonderful greeter in Molly's diner finds me a table by the window so I can watch out for the AA tech to pull up. I sit down, order a coffee and a breakfast and settle in. A few minutes later, an SMS from the AA. Your technician will be with you in 10 to 15 minutes. Yikes! I need to cancel breakfast. So I go up to the greeter and she was amazing. She cancelled the order and even sorted the coffee for me to go because I was absolutely dying for a coffee then. Sure enough, after about 10 minutes, the AA technician pulls up in his van. I describe the issue. The usual fix for these things is to disconnect the 12 volt battery. Yes, that's right. Turn it off. Turn it back on again. So this is the first thing he tries. But nope, not working. Next thing is to plug into the diagnostic port on the car and reset all the warnings. Bang! This sorts it out. I grab the charger and plug in while the tech is still there. First time the charger connects and we're charging. Just typical. The AA tech even left me his mobile number just in case I had issues as he was going to be in the area for another call. With the car sorted, I race back to Molly's Diner to get to another table and order my breakfast. By this time, it's now close to two hours since I pulled up in the car park, and the event started at 10am, but I had messaged Dave to let him know I had car trouble, and also let him know it was sorted, and I will be on my way soon, after breakfast. After charging to around about 95%, that was going to be enough for my onward journey to Swag, and also for the trek home. So 
So just a quick thank you again to the technician that sorted out the car in super quick time and also to the friendly staff at Molly's Diner in Bristol Cribs Causeway. I will be returning there again for breakfast. And so on to swag. On arrival, I parked up and immediately went in to see Dave to make sure my tables were still going to be available. Sure enough, he had kept them free and Dave kindly helped me with the first part of unloading. He's a busy guy during these meetings, so thanks to Dave for your time and keeping my space open. After getting in all the boxes and screens, I start to get set up. The A3000 takes a bit of work getting set up at the moment. Quite a few things just to get it going, but it was worth the effort. While I am setting up, a few people come over and take a look at the 3000, and we have a chat. I then get the C64 drives and drives and games all set up. Then I go and grab another coffee. It's no problem to leave your table at Swag. We're all like-minded people, and nothing as far as I know has ever gone missing at any Swag event. Apart from meeting all the awesome people and seeing all the amazing Amiga and Commodore kit, another reason for going to Swag this time was to say hi to Derek Fellows. Derek is the wonderful chap that recapped Cody's CD32 in record time that I sent to him. Although there was a couple of issues with this, we sorted it all out real quick and everything is good. Derek was set up at Swag with his workbench, his soldering iron and parts to recap your Amigas on the day. So I had arranged with Derek to get my A600 and my A1200 sorted by him on the day. I also brought along three of the dead Spectrum 128 Plus 2s that I have for him to take a look at. That wasn't for on the day, he was going to take those back with him and fix them in his own time. As I was late to the event, Derek had a few more in the queue before me. So he grabbed my A600 and the 1200 boards and he's going to take those back and will send them back to me when completed in a couple of weeks time. So it's good to catch up with Derek. He's also starting a new Amiga business offering repair and recapping here in the UK. I will get some more details and give it a mention in catching up next month when the boards are back with me. Having a wander around all the other tables, there were many cool Amigas and C64s of all varieties, shapes and sizes. I've noticed at this event the amount of CD32s that were brought along. At my first swag, I think that I was one of maybe two people that brought one along. This time, there had to be at least six I saw. There were also some Tower Amigas, not the A3000 or the 4000T, but some of the modern Amiga recreations. I got talking to a few people about their collections and one guy called Paul was very interested in my Amiga A3000. Paul used to collect Amigas that were offered to him back in the late 90s and early 2000s when you almost could not give them away. One of the things he had in his collection was an Amiga A3000 but not a PAL one, an NTSE one just like mine. So he was very interested in how I have modified mine to get it working as a power system with the correct voltage power supply. Paul also told me that amongst his collection he had boxes of Commodore and MOS chips. This I was very interested to hear about. Maybe Paul had a big stash of SID or TED chips hidden away. He said that he'd started a spreadsheet inventorying the items and would email me a copy. He showed me it as he was able to find a copy on his laptop that he brought with him. Wow, he has some stuff there. Doesn't look like any Ted or Sid chips, but 
he had lots of C64 ROMs, MPS803 ROMs, which is the printer, uh, 6502 and 6510 CPUs, and lots of Amiga Agnes chips. We've agreed to keep in touch, as he's not too far away, so I'm going to help him out with his a- and get his A3000 sorted. There was also time to do a quick walk around the show with Cody on a Discord video chat. That was cool to show Cody how it was looking at the, at the event. Eric was unfortunately out, so he was not able to join us. It was a shame I missed the first few hours, but I did make the most of the time I was there. I did shoot some video, and I'll try to get this up on YouTube to complement this t- episode of Tea Time with Tim, so you can get a better feel for the event and not just me rambling on about it. So that's it for my eventful journey and time at SWAG. Next up for SWAG is the postponed workbench event in May. I'm really looking forward to the workbench event in May. I think it's going to be a good one. Anyway, that's it for now. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you on the next one. Bye! So this month on Eric's Take, I will be continuing my segment where I interview Patreon subscribers and talk to them about the crown jewels of their collection. And that can mean different things to different people. It can mean uh, rare uh, hardware. It could be hard to find software. It can be something from their childhood. It can really be whatever it means to them. And so without further ado, we're going to start with Jason Holland. And then on the second part, we will be interviewing Dan James. Thank you. Pieces that I have. Sure. Um, I, I would say it's probably my my Tandy one thousand that that I that I've got. It took me the longest to get. I was probably looking for maybe like eighteen months trying to get uh, a Tandy one thousand. Um, either there was no shipping, or the shipping was too much, or you know something like that. But I finally found one, and I uh, got it shipped up to me, and uh, unbelievably it worked because it was untested as well. Uh, the, the kid selling it uh, didn't know much about it. It was his father's or something like that. He found it in the attic after his dad had passed, I guess. Um, so I think it cost me about $110 shipped up to. That, up to that's not bad. That's not bad at all. No, that was that was pretty good. So I um, hooked it up and uh, it had a hard card. Of course, that didn't work. Um, but it had the 640k memory, and uh, I had to do a little bit with the uh, with the video um, because the composite is just awful on the, yeah. on the candies. And I didn't have an RBG uh, uh, monitor or anything I could hook that up to. So I had to get. So it. what? What model one thousand is it? Is it like HX, EX, SL, or what? There, there's a bunch of different models, right? Yeah, yeah, there is. This one is a Tandy one thousand. Um, I think it's a Tandy one thousand A, even though it doesn't okay. say that on it, because it has the, um, it has the socket for the coprocessor. 
which I yeah. think the, one, the original 1000s, I don't think had that. So I think it is a 1000A, but it doesn't gotcha. say that on it. And that's a tower, right? Because I have a, a 1000HX that's in the wedge form, like it's all built into one. But the one you have is a tower, or not a tower, but a pizza box style. Or yeah, it's the old, it's an old desktop that reminds me of my 486. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's big. It's a monster. The monitor and, on and top of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that one has an 8088. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I do have. I do have a. a, a Was it the BC BC BC20 chip for it though that I'm going to install, which will speed it up a little bit. About twenty percent, maybe faster. Yeah, I haven't I haven't put that in yet, but I, I got that from New Zealand, actually. <laughs> I sent it from there. And does that one have, like you said, the? Yeah, I think you said the hard drive card didn't work in it. Did you get a replacement? I got in uh, a, a compact flash. Yeah, excellent, oh, excellent. Yeah. That, that's wonderful. So. You have basically just you have it's a, if it's an eighty eighty eight you probably just have some version of DOS on there right Have you been playing any games on it? Um yeah yeah I uh, I got like seven or eight on the on the Compact Flash at present I got more downloaded to the PC that I haven't transferred over um, I got like Defender of the Crown which is one of my favorites and then there's yeah like Railroad Tycoon is on there um, maybe Eye of the Beholder. Uh, old TS, uh, TSR game. Um, so I think those are, those are basically on there. Um, yeah. And, and the DOS version. Yeah. And so your graphics, if that, if I remember right on that are CGA, is that right? Like pretty much CGA four color. Yeah. Yeah. Does that sound right? That's awesome. <laughs> CGA graphics and you have the, uh, the color, uh, the color palette, <laughs> the pink color palette or the green one or whatever. Um, now, were you surprised or disappointed when, when, when you opened the box of its condition? Cause that's always a surprise for me because pictures tend to not really do these kind of things justice. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I was pleasantly surprised that the unit worked. Uh, yeah, and it, it was. It pretty much looked like the picture. It was a bit dirtier than than it kind of showed up on the um, uh, on the uh, pictures on eBay. But um, I, it cleaned up real nice. It wasn't a wasn't a big issue. It was. That's good. So it's in pretty good shape. Now, what monitor are you using with it? Did you get some sort of modern solution, or are you just using a good old fashioned CRT? No, no, no. I, I, I have a, uh, uh, a television, like an HDMI, uh, small okay. TV that I have, and I have a converter that takes the CGA and converts it into the, um, into the VGA because there's a VGA port on that TV. So oh, good. It runs through the VGA port. Yeah. And does it look pretty good? Oh yeah, it looks sharp. Yeah, it looks it looks good. It does a good. Now job. that. That's great. Now that model has slots in it, right? ISA slots. It does. Um, what do you have? In, what do you have? Do you have any cards in it other than the CF card for the CF card? Um, there's an Ethernet card in it. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> have you tried? You probably haven't tried getting that to work. <laughs> I have not tried getting that to work, but there is a there is an Ethernet card in there. There was a hard card, an Ethernet card. Um, and then there was like, there's an expansion RAM in there, in there too. 
So I okay. I remove the hard card and uh, and, and I put in the, the compact flash. I never took out the Ethernet card, but I haven't used it either. Yeah. Now, what is it just using the basic speaker sound? Like there's a speaker built into it or do you have a sound card in it? No, there it has Tandy sound, I think, though. So. Oh, okay, okay. So that's built into the motherboard. Yeah, but um, some of the games don't take advantage of that, so they just come out on the speaker. That's right, because there were Tandy versions of games that, yeah. like that Radio Shack actually made a deal with or something to make the games have special support for what, what Tandy brought to the table, the extra memory or the or the music or whatever, right? That's right. It was a PC, essentially it was a PC junior color and sound that they put into there. So there are, there's maybe one game on there that takes advantage of the, of the sound. I can't remember which one it is. And it's a big difference, but like. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because even the Tandy wedge that I have, the Tandy 1000, it has enhanced sound. So that sounds a lot better than if it was just uh, the beeps and bloops from the PC speaker. That's awesome. I didn't know that. The, I'm not familiar with the the 1000s that weren't the wedge style computers. So that's that's pretty interesting stuff. So do you keep that hooked up all the time, um, or like to the, to a TV, or do you pull it out just on special occasions? No, I've got it hooked. I've got it hooked up in the bedroom. Um, I had it down because I was gonna open it up and uh, put in my uh, my new processor, and I was gonna. The disk drive isn't, I don't know if the disk drive's working. I cleaned it somewhat and I got to see if it works or if not, I got other disk drives I can swap out. I got some half heights I can swap out uh, for this one that's in there. Um, so I, but it's set, it's set back up. Yeah. It's in, it's in the- awesome. Well, that sounds awesome. That's, that's a great, I'm glad to see PC represented in the, in the crown jewel picks. Um, do you have a runner up that you have? Um. I mean, probably the one I play the most is the Commodore 64, but, um, you know, one of the hardest ones, another one that I took me a long time to get was my Atari, uh, my Atari XL. And that was like some collector. So that one is like, it's in its own box and it has the number on the box that matches the number on the computer. And yeah. it, it really required nothing. You know, like when you got the Commodore, I had to clean it and, and, do things to it and everything. This sucker was pristine. It came, it was like 150 bucks and some guy died and they were selling off his collection. And, and it came, wow. it came in the original box for the Atari X800 XL. So is it the 800 or 1200? It's the 800 XL. Which is the best to get, I think. I mean, I think a boat on a, the Amigos will disagree with me, but I think the 800 is the best because it's, it's so easy to upgrade and there's all sorts of things you can do with it. It's awesome. Yeah, and it was perfect. It was like in perfect condition. You didn't have to clean it. You didn't have to do anything. That dude did everything for you. So like it came, you just plugged it in and it worked. Right on. Do you have a peripheral with that with that one, like the FujiNet or the um, what? What is it? What is the Atari little SD card solution? I, I have one. I bought mine from Lotharec, but I don't remember what it was. What it's called? I have the FujiNet, but I don't have it. I haven't hooked it up yet because oh, okay, I just got that maybe a month ago, and the Atari's in the box, so I I didn't I haven't pulled it out and set the Atari up to to do the FujiNet. Yeah. 
what you would Yeah, you got to do that. FujiNet's brilliant. I was lucky enough to be on the beta test team. So I had all I got all these funky versions of it, the hardware wise. I got one looked like a candy bar until they finally came out with the one that sits kind of flush with the machine. And that thing will do everything. It's a Swiss Army knife for the Atari 8-bit line. That thing does everything. You're going to really enjoy that. It makes it really easy too. Yeah, it, look, from the videos it looks really looks really good, you know. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for uh, telling us your uh, crown jewels of your collection. I really appreciate it. And uh, if you want to see it real quick before it goes. Sure. Uh, Absolutely. The machine. You got a picture of it there yet? Oh, there it is. Yeah. Monitor sits right on there. It, those look so much better, I think, than the original IBMs with the ports in the front and all that, all that stuff. And there's the deluxe joystick and the color mouse, too. Oh, awesome. The deluxe joystick is a must-have for those because most of the games support that uh, analog joystick. Um, but, man, that thing does look really good. That is well, pristine. Looks great. Yeah. The Commodore looks good, too. Yeah, well, I cleaned that from head to toe. It didn't quite look that good when I got it. But, uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> cool. That is that is awesome. Well, thank you for showing those off. And you know what? We missed our introduction in the beginning. This is Jason Holland. Very good. Thank you for being a Patreon subscriber. It means a lot to us. Oh, no problem. You guys are great. The three of you guys have great chemistry, and the show is always always look forward to it every month, every, every twice a month, right? 15th. Yeah, month. twice a month. Yeah. We, we we divided it up to make smaller episodes, but those episodes, like Amoebas, became bigger and bigger. And so now we have two big episodes every month. <laughs> yes, yes, you guys do. But it's it's real good, real good podcast you guys do, all three of you. Works great. Awesome, Jason. Well, thanks. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. And uh, we will uh, talk to you again soon, I hope. All right. Thank you. So next up, we have Dan James. So I'm here with Dan James, uh, Patreon extraordinaire and uh, beer lover. He is, uh, he's done our favorite thing by sending us beer at one point, which was excellent. We had it on the show. So I wanted to say hi to Dan and get his, uh, what his crown jewel of his collection is. So hello, Dan. Hey, Eric. How are you doing? Good. So now I'm eager. I'm I'm eager to hear this. So what is the crown jewel of your collection? Oh, I've gone back and forth, but uh, I think in the end, for me, I've always been a Commodore guy since day one. The first uh, computers at my school were were Commodore Pets, and uh, so that was the first thing I programmed on. And uh, the first home computer that I I ended up with the uh, able to afford really at that time would have been it was a Vic twenty, and so um, I still have my Still have my original VIC-20 in its case. I, was, I refer to it now as a Franken-VIC because it actually has a C64 PC board inside it. Yeah, those things that happen in college, you know, where yeah. somewhere along the line, uh, uh, and maybe probably an adult beverage might have gotten spilled inside a keyboard <laughs> at one time. And uh, so we decided to transplant the 64 board inside the, inside the VIC case because at that you know, it's pretty easy to yeah. notch out a few things on the back and hook up the keyboard. 
Um, so for our audio listeners, so this is a, a gold label Vic 20 that has some cutouts in the back that I, I had mentioned to you look really good for a hack job, as you had mentioned. <laughs> uh, it looks pretty clean. Uh, but uh, it, the gold label Vicks, yeah, I mean, the, my first Vic was a rainbow label one. But every Vic I've bought, purchased since then, which I think I've purchased three different ones, have been gold label ones. And I wasn't even sure where those fell in the timeline. I know I've heard people talk about them. Are the gold ones the earlier ones? They're the earlier ones. They have okay. the two-prong power supplies. Yeah. Um, and then the the rainbow label Vic has uses the same power supply as the Commodore 64. This actually has the 64 board in it, so I, I don't remember now yeah. that you talk about it. I do remember those power supplies got really hot. It oh, yeah. A, that Vic brick. I mean, it was that thing was it was yep. smoking hot. I remember that. Yep, and and I've since then I've always tried to find the rainbow labeled Vic because you can share the power supply with the Commodore right. 64, which would you know for desk space and under your desk that would be really handy. I haven't sure. been able to find one reasonably priced, so I just end up with the Vic 20 gold label ones, and they do work fine. They get they seem to get a little more interference on the RF, mm. but. I don't use. I try not to use RF anyway. I would like to get another board for this one at some time. So I kind of kept my eyes out for. I don't really want to, you know, ruin a good Vic. So I've, I've kept my eyes open for someone with a, with a board sitting out there. It's, there's enough guys uh, out there to, to you know, give one of your sponsors a plug retro rewind that can you give them a reasonably, uh, yeah. functional board or close to functioning board. And they can get that stuff working if you don't want to spend the time to do it yourself. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. They they're fantastic. Like I'm gonna we're we're preparing a very large box to send to Retro Rewind <laughs> of stuff that we can't hack like sure. fix together. Um because I mean I have a like we always talk about the box of broken dreams. I have a box mm -hmm. of broken dreams that stuff I've tried to work on. And I'm gonna take the best of those things and try to ship them to Frank at Retro Rewind, try to get them fixed up. So you know, yeah, I encourage you to do that if if you ever find a good Vic motherboard or whatever that that it can be salvaged. Yeah, it would be nice just to put one back in this case, just to have something that's that's functional again. I think I have a couple, I have enough 64s and other boards. I have three or four bread bins that you know in various states of repair or that I've had to replace and you know go to a Swinsid or something like that, and that aren't necessarily original anymore. You don't but, have uh, a Vic 20 functional. now, though, right? No, I don't. So just the just the case, just the memory. Just the me <laughs> it's just yeah, the memory just the now. Memory. Um, but uh, and it's still cool. I mean, it, it's still yeah. I, like you mentioned uh, before, we talked online the things we did to pay for those things back then. This was a this was a layaway at Kmart. Yeah, I think where my mom paid for half, and I think that I paid for the other half with you know doing paper route and yep. uh, mowing lawns and whatever you need to do to pay off the last twenty bucks a month or whatever it was you had to do to pay off the balance. That's right. And Vic 20 was my first home computer too, but I wish we had, would have had pets at school. We had Apple twos and TRS 80 model ones and threes. Yeah. And when I got to it. high school, that's what they had was Apple twos. So the two C and the two E's are what I ended up doing more programming on good old integer basic. Yeah. But you have a, my... you, but you had pets. See, I never had seen a real pet until I got the one I have the 2001. Yeah. Our whole school district. Uh, that's what they ended up. I'm sure Commodore, at that time probably did that they went to yeah. the whole school district so every school got like one or two depending on the size of your school yeah and uh, i went to a fairly small uh, private elementary school at that time so when i was, it was seventh or eighth grade so 81 80 81 yeah and uh, i actually found some pictures that i've posted on twitter i think once before that was the the summer before it was a picture of all of the elementary school teachers 
uh, at a summer <laughs> class being taught how to use these because they were going to get them at the next schools the next year. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. It's got a row of all of these Vic, all of all these pets with uh, the principal and of all of the different schools. Kind of, you know, they probably sent a representative or two from each school. Yeah. And, uh, and wasn't so, it yeah, funny I, that back then, like the teachers really didn't know computers well at all? Because I remember no. the first computer lab we had in junior high. I set up the computer lab with the teacher. Like he, I showed an interest in it. And so we set it up yeah. together. Yeah. Our principal, Mr. Vice was learning right along with me. He and I unboxed them and hooked them up. And I, you know, my mom picked me up late from school. So I was able to stay late and yeah. basically mess around on them as I could. And um, like we had one eighty fifty floppy drive to, you know, at that time, those were the IEEE 488. So you could share them among multiple machines. Yeah. So I think both computers plugged into the one floppy drive, dual drive. And, uh, so, yeah, I learned a ton on those. They and, were great. And what grade were you in at that point? That would have been seventh or eighth grade, 80, 81. Yeah, the funny yeah. thing is that mirrors me, too. I was in seventh grade in the first computer yeah. lab. First computers I ever touched were in seventh grade at the computer lab. Yeah, they were great. We had so much. I don't think we really had a computer lab at that point. It was probably just a corner of the library Well, this became that for sure. Ours was a closet in the science room. Like it was <laughs> yeah. Mr. Richardson. He was my science teacher. Sure. He had a, a a pretty good sized closet in the back where he st- was storage closet, and yeah. we cleared that out, built desks in there, and he just said, "Hey, set all these up," and it was yeah. all the TRS eighties and Apple twos. It certainly took me down my Commodore journey. I went from pets to my first Vic to I and my neighbor both had sixty fours. Yeah, pretty much all my buddies I hung out with in high school all had sixty fours. Um, I still have my Amiga 1000 that I got in college. So the one, the one piece that kind of hooks to all of those together is I still have a, a, the crown jewel probably if I had to pick a second would be the 1702 monitor. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. it powered, it powered my 60, it was the display for my 64s. It was the display for my Amiga 1000. It was one of the nice things about the 1000 when it came out is it would do color composite out, which, yeah. you know, the Amiga 500 would only do black and white composite out. Um, you had to have the RGB out in order to get that. So that they that 1702, it still works to this day. That's know, pretty. 83, that's, 84. That's amazing. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I've hooked you know everything up to that thing over the years. So yeah, that's it's pretty amazing. I, I have a good time reading on the Commodore Historical Society page on Facebook and uh, Bill Hurd and all those guys. How they're just astounded that these computers they designed for a you know five to ten year max life and you know, 40 years later, yeah, people are still using them. Even if you have to recap them or replace a SID or replace a VIC chip, they're still still chugging along. Pretty amazing. That's awesome. So, well, that's great. So the VIC, that VIC would have been your crown jewel just for the memories. Yeah. It's and, just, the, uh, and the 1702 monitor. Yeah, man, I, I never had a, you know, I never had a computer monitor, a Commodore computer monitor as a young kid or, or teen. I ended up my my Vic the whole time I used my Vic, I had a black and white little tiny TV. That's what and, I used it on at home, yeah. Yep, and then and then every once in a while, my parents would let me hook it up to the big TV, the color TV in the living room, but only only like when I had a friend over or something. Yeah. Um, and then the rest of the time was in my room with the little black and white. And I remember still remember the brand was Emerson. Emerson sure. black and white with the dials and the UHF <laughs> yeah. little antennas. I think and the then, TV mine was on was like the, it was probably like a little 10 inch or 12 inch. Yeah. It made it, it went into our camper. Like yeah. when we went to the lake or something on the weekend, that was kind of like the spare TV. Yep. Yep. And then I remember the day that I got the color, little color TV, same size, might've even been the same brand, but it was a color TV. And then it was, it was kind of fortunate thinking back that those all those uh, computers allowed you to use regular TVs with the RF. For thing. sure. 
Yeah, the Switch box in the back. I mean, I used my Vic on it. We had the Atari 2600 was our first game console, the VCS. Yeah. And uh, like I mentioned, I off the when we first started, I've got the my sister still has it, and it's a. I don't think it's a heavy sixer. It is still the six switch, but I think it's the later edition. Yeah. Um, but uh, and I still have the Starpath supercharger that my neighbor Paul actually bought. That was like the upgrade to the VCS, you know, where you could plug in that supercharger and load games off cassette. Yeah. And man, we've spent hours playing Dragon Stomper, and that was a great game. That's the one game I remember that you could buy. You could buy that, and it was on tape, and you right. could load that up. I can't remember a single other game that supported that supercharger, but there was there, there was a game one, called right? like Mindbender or something like that okay. that was like a maze game. But yeah, there were, and I have a version of Frogger that was brilliant on it. It's amazing. Oh, wow. It sounds like sounds like sixty four sound coming out of that thing. It was amazing. Oh, that's crazy. No, I, of course, that, it's my own mind too. Those, you know, we have our vision of what things look like and what they sounded like forty years ago, and then you exactly. hear them again, and you're like, eh. <laughs> it's not quite as great as I remember it. Even to this day, I still load up some of the old Commodore sixty four games that uh, that I played back in the day, and I I try to play them. Um, there was one called um, the Human. Oh man, now I'm now I'm gonna blow the my memory of this. It was called the Human League. Yeah, it was called the Human League. And I remember that game thinking, this looks so great, and it was such a fun game, and I loaded up. I couldn't even figure out what I was doing in the game. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't I, Some of those games were pretty pretty wacky. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I admit I have, to, I have to cringe every time. I have to. I want to reach through the, the pod, podcast player and yeah. smack Cody on the side of the cheek when he <laughs> says the, the muddy colors of a C64. I'm like, perspective, man. You need to have some perspective on... Uh, what was available back then? Yeah, I know I know he has too. he has his own perspective and and I understand it. He came along just after we did, so yeah. And if you you know if you do compare it to something like the original Nintendo, I mean it is sure. night and day difference. The color palettes are much much Absolutely. different. But you know when I compare. Because you know, Cody will compare the ZX Spectrum to the C64 and the and the color sets. I'd take the C64 color palette over the ZX Spectrum. Yeah, all day long. Week. So I don't know. We're, I was used we're to probably that. Probably biased a little bit too. Yeah, absolutely. But I, 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 <laughs> I, I'll take the C64 any day of the week. That was my that's my main computer. Growing just like you, yeah. I was the Commodore kid, and mainly because most of my other friends had that. I only had one friend who had an Atari. Mm. And uh, other than that, everyone else had Commodores that I knew of. Yeah, I I had a friend that had uh, that was more of a programmer guy from day one, and he had the TRC Model Two, Model Three. Once they went to the full, you know, yeah. ones uh, yep. system, and uh, and that looked like a real computer. You went into his his, and you're like, dude, that's like a real computer. Yeah, that's like a terminal, you know? like a, like yeah, some kind of exactly war games exactly. <laughs> it looked like a real terminal. And that's not to bash on my own history, but the 64 for us, for the most part, was a game computer. And even though, sorry, uh, sorry, Doug, I know there is productivity <laughs> software for the 64. I did right. run Geos on it for a while. I yeah. still have my 1764 RAM expander, even though I actually used it more for my bulletin board system than I ever used it for Geos. But yeah, uh, I got a, I got a, I bought a lot once. Like there was somebody locally, in fact, here in, in the town that I live in, they were selling a lot of Commodore 64 stuff. And I sent a lot of that stuff to Tim, if you remember, like mm. a lot of the boxed games. Right. Um, but one of the things that was in the lot was the Okamate 10 printer. Do you oh, remember yeah. that? It was that little one. Uh, it was, it was actually pretty small. Um, but 
it brought back memories. I completely forgot that I, I had one of those towards the end of my life with the Commodore 64. Yeah. Talking about lots, if you don't mind me turning around. No, no problem at all. How about a, it, this was kind of a Commodore's version of that, the 1520. Yeah. The, and I had one of those, the printer plotter. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it, that's what it kind of reminded me of was the Oki data. And I got this as part of a lot. I didn't even know it was with it. When I bought that 128 off eBay, yeah, it was in the box with a 128. I got the 128 at 1571, and that was like three years ago. I don't even think I paid 250 bucks for it, and it looked brand new. Wow. I mean, yeah, I still use that 1571 with the. Uh, I use it with the. Uh, uh, what's the little card called with a zoom floppy? And yeah, it works brilliant with the zoom floppy. Yeah, and uh, that's what I've been using to image all my old 64, you know, oh, five and a quarters. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, is that 71 and it works. I've never had to align it. I put a, you know, I pulled the case off, cleaned it with a Q-tip and otherwise it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, those sir? are two things I did go back and buy. It was a 71 and I bought a 1581, which I never owned. I had friends that did. Yeah. And uh, I sent my 1581 to Tim cause I knew he'd, he'd appreciate it more than it. My, mine was sitting in my garage for yeah. a couple of years and I never used it. And so I knew he'd appreciate it more. And they've gotten crazy on price too. Yeah. Yep. But the, the 1520 plotter, I remember um, I went into a store and they were blowing those out for 20 bucks. And yeah. so I grabbed one and I had this printer plotter and those were so much fun. I mean, even There's just printing cool text, even printing yeah. text. I remember I'd print little documents and letters and stuff and just print them out. And you could do ribbons. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember, uh, do you follow Paul Ricard's on a, yeah. uh, on, he does a, amazing plotter stuff, amazing stuff with plotters. And then oh. I we had a discussion with, with him once he found sources for uh, the little pens. Oh yeah. So, uh, cause those were, you couldn't find them anymore for many, many years. And now there's, I think a new source of them. Well, and the one thing this 1520 is missing is it's missing the little arms on the back that holds the paper roll. That's right. And yeah. if you go out to Thingiverse, there's people that have all of those little things that are missing that you can 3D print replace <laughs> replacement <laughs> versions of them. That actually like, makes uh, me makes me happy because I yeah. out of all the printers I had growing up, the 1520 was the most one I had fun with, quote unquote yeah. fun, because you know the Okamate 10 I just printed school reports and stuff right. like that on. I didn't really didn't use it for fun, but uh man, I remember that 1520. I loved it. Yeah, we had, uh, I think I bought a Star Micronics, the SG-10, I think, was the one that they made uh, adapter for, for the 64. That was, uh, that worked great. Um, I had a 1525, I think, originally for doing printer reports, and I used to get, I used to get uh, knocked down on reports because it wouldn't do descending characters. Yeah. 1525 wouldn't, so it would That's shift right. up for all the Gs and the Ys. Yep, I remember that. <laughs> Anything with a tail. <laughs> so, like, buy a real printer. Right. So, I'm, so I'm going to bring this back into gaming because we are we are, you know, a gaming podcast. Sure. On, since the crown jewel is the Vic Twenty, what was your favorite game on the Vic Twenty? Oh, uh, the no question, the Scott Adams stuff. The oh, yeah. adventure, yeah, all those early adventure carts were the big ones. And uh, I had, I think I, I had most. Pirates Cove, Voodoo Castle. Um, um, yeah, I remember those. I had Voodoo Castle. I had Pirates Cove. Um, there was another one. And I know, man, I can't remember the name of it, but I had those two. And those are, those were one of the first games games that I got mm -hmm. on the Vic 20. And then I think if you heard last episode, I picked Omega race, which was yeah. the first arcade game I got on the Vic 20. And I loved that game. And that's why I picked it as one of my favorites, whatever Cody sure. says, you know, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember playing arcade games on 
on the Vic much. I probably only had it maybe a year before I got my 64. Same here. Um, so I did some of the programming, did a lot of the stuff out of the magazines, and then yep. I know I had a handful of the cartridge games that yeah. were mostly the Scott Adams games. I do remember having the horrible Atari uh, Pac-Man clone um, I don't, yeah, for I don't the Vic. Think, I, yeah, I don't terrible. think I had that. Yeah, I don't think I had that one. And then uh, I, uh, when we, I was up in Colorado with a friend, uh, we bought the penult. He bought the penultimate cartridge. Yeah. And we had played that, and so they have the the version of Pac-Man that Atari didn't release. You know, it was done by somebody else that uh, right. Uh, munchers or something like that that it's called and it's brilliant it's amazing yeah, yeah. that uh, that penultimate cartridge from the future was 8-bit is amazing like uh yeah. i was lucky i got an early copy of that because tim got, had a hookup for me and mm. i i put that in i was like this is all you need a vic yeah, and, this, it is. and that's all you need and i tell people that if they've got a vic 20 <laughs> and they just want the retro experience of to have it yep. functional gives you all your memory gives you the probably the 20 or 30 best games yep and that's that's all you need to throw that on and say this is what this machine can do yep old yeah. games new games memory expansions it yep. had it had everything on there yep. a terminal a program card. it's amazing yep all right dan cool well i think that's gonna be it but thank you for uh thank you for telling us the, the crown jewels of your collection and i and we really do appreciate that you're a patreon supporter it means a lot to us. It means a lot to all three of us that uh, people would be willing to support the show. So I really uh, appreciate it. I appreciate you guys. You guys make me laugh on my, my commute to work. And <laughs> um, you guys, uh, it's always fun to listen to you guys kind of chat back and forth. Cause it's uh, again, it's like my buddies when I was in school, it's that was what we did get together, shoot the, shoot, you know, you know, yep. you like this. I don't like this. This is why I like this one. And, <laughs> what are you crazy that you don't like that game? Exactly. Yeah. Good time. All right. Thanks Appreciate a lot, Dan. It. Thanks, Eric. Oh, yeah, them funky beats. Hey, guys, we are live back here in the studio with Eric and Cody. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sure. <laughs> oh, I got my... Oh, no, my keyboard, my sound effects aren't working again. Awesome. Oh, no. Wah, wah, wah. Means I'm going to do it all by mouth. Do you want me to play some funky tunes real quick? Eric can play some funky tunes, because that's what we here need we go, here. Here we go. Now I want to hear you drop some rhymes over the top of that. <laughs> uh, Eric, we need to get a little more liquor to make this podcast sicker, if you know what I mean. <laughs> nice. Uh, I'm grabbing, as we said in this episode, we're not doing two reviews, so we did a review beer. I'm grabbing one of my old standbys, one of my favorites from my local favorite brewery, Heretic. And this is not the um, the original Make America Juicy again, which I do love. This I is, saw that today in the store, yeah. This is Juicier Than Thou. Juicier Than Thou. Which is uh, an, uh, another hazy England-style IPA with mango, and I love this beer. Awesome. And, I, and I've had that before. It's a good one. I think we, we've had that on the show I think before, the, right? the first year we did this one, yeah, I, I forced this one down your gullet. <laughs> For me, I'm going back with the same brewery as we had the last beer, King Kong Brewing. This is the Prague at Night. Oh, yeah, yeah, Dark yeah. Lager. We've had that one on the show before. One of my favorites this year, so I'm not even going to bother rating it because this is one of my favorite favorite beers of all. So here we go. Mm. 
Ah. Cheers. I got poor mine. You're drinking it like an animal. I'm, I, I drink straight out of the can. It's funny. We'll go. My, my wife and I'll go to a nice, or not, not necessarily a nice restaurant, but any kind of restaurant. And they'll bring like a, a beverage, you know, and, and if they comes in a bottle or a can, they'll give her the, the frosty glass. And yeah. she just pushes it to the corner and drinks right out of the can. <laughs> she, she prefers it that way. I'm like, all right. Nice. That's my girl. Love it. Yeah. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. All right. If I forget to add that sound in post, that's because my sound machine is still not working. Oh, All right, we've got our beers, Eric. What we don't have yet is to make sure everyone knows it's time for six good games. Six good games! And on this particular installment of Six Good Games, Eric, we are covering six good games. FPSs, otherwise known as first-person shooters, not first-person shmups. No, and this is one I don't think we've ever talked about first-person shooters like in a in in any kind of scenario. Well, well, we did do battles. We've covered we've covered them before, but we've never specifically yeah. talked about FPSs. Yeah, that's right. All right, that is right. So, so we should yeah bring up our notes on that so I can know which order we're doing these in. And, and if again, if we have some new listeners here, Six Good Games is simply a segment where Eric and I find an excuse to cover a topic and talk about six games that we just want to talk about that fit that topic. Uh, sometimes, to be honest, they're not even good, but the idea is to pick ones that are good <laughs> so that we can give recommendations. <laughs> We have different differing opinions on what's good or bad, or depending on uh, the game. In fact, I've got one on this list that many consider to be one of the worst games on the system, but I think it's good. So, and I have I have one that's pretty controversial too. Um, It's it's the last one I'm going to talk about, and some people really don't like it. Some people love it. So, Eric, do you want to go first or second? Let's just throw that out there. Why don't we just go based on what's on the list here? Why don't you go first? All right, I'm going to go first. And this game, uh, you know, because when you think of first person shooters. There's two, typically at this point, there's kind of two ends of the spectrum, and I think you kind of led to it at the beginning of the show that you kind of tried to find that middle ground, and so did I to a point. Um, and that that the two ends of the spectrum are kind of your modern multiplayer mass. They're almost always war shooters. You know, you've got your yeah. battlefields, and you've got your Call of Duties, um, to a lesser extent, Halo. Um, not that it's a lesser game, but lesser in terms of like war shooter. But anyways. Uh, but and they all kind of feel similar nowadays. Yes. And then you go back to the originals, which are like, all right, Doom. Right. Everyone talks about Doom, and the mm-hmm. things that happen just after Doom, and the things that happen just before Doom, and a lot like of Quake, like Quake yeah, like, or Capital uh, uh, Wolfenstein 3D, just before. Yep, yep, yep. And those are kind of what everyone talks about. And I think you and I had a similar th- idea, which is let's talk about good FPSs that people might have even forgot about, didn't know about, yep. or. Uh, kind of had their heyday and my first one honestly was it's probably one of the biggest first person shooters ever but i don't feel like no it, it kind of stopped after the second installment and never went any further for some reason even though it darn well needs to uh yeah. and that is half-life 2 eric yeah now the other thing i will say before i get going too much further on this um the first person shooter in general is a pc well it's it used to always be almost exclusively pc and ever since consoles got more power, they tried to do first-person shooters. But I think we'll both agree that 
a first-person shooter is best played on a PC with a mouse. I 100% agree with you, uh, with, with some exceptions, like GoldenEye on the N64, Perfect Dark. Well, um, there were a few successful ones on consoles, Halo. Um, but you're right. I prefer first-person shooters should be on a keyboard with the good old WASD control method, right? Yep. And the reason I point that out is, yeah, there's there are good console games, and that's kind of what I tried to focus on. Um, but they're just inherently better with a mouse, it, and that's just my yeah. opinion. And if you ever yeah. have anybody who's played like an Xbox uh, uh, first-person shooter against people who are also on Microsoft computers, you know, playing with a mouse, <laughs> you yeah. can quickly figure out who's on a PC and who's not by who is just decimating everybody who's using yeah. a twin-stick uh, analog controller. The, the combination of using keys plus the mouse is a deadly combination. Like it's so easy to just whip your visuals around using the mouse and then just move your movements controls by the keys. And it's just natural, just feels natural. And when I first got back into modern gaming, I kind of skipped over for a while. And I kind of, I came in at the very tail end at the, of the PS3, right before the four came out. That's yeah. when I kind of got back into modern gaming and I just could not do shooters. It took me years to like figure out how to do a shooter on a controller. Now I'm more comfortable with it, more used to it. But I still, when I go back now and use a, a mouse on a PC game, it's just like, oh my gosh, this is. I remember this. This is what it should feel like, and it's hard to go back to twin stick, in my opinion. And that's why well, I think a, a, a large part, when you're playing first-person shooter games on like a PlayStation system, the PS3, PS4, PS5, something like that, or any other modern system. There's some tricks that you that they put into controllers to make it easier to play those fast-paced games. Yeah. So, like, if you're playing, if I'm playing uh, Far Cry or something like that now, I don't sit there and try to aim. I mean, if you're sniping or something, you can. But for the most part, part if you press the uh, the left trigger to pull up your crosshairs and you yeah. double tap that, it'll auto lock on the person you're closest to. That's right. And so I do it's that like all the time. More, uh... What do they call those? Not trainers, but there's a, like a, the, not enhancements either. Assists. There's a term for it. Assists. There you go. Yep. That's what I was thinking of. They, they do add some assists, which you, frankly, you need with a controller. There's not as precise yeah. um, controls with that. Yeah. And, and it makes them playable, but I, going back to a keyboard and mouse and a true actually point at something and shooting and it's all you it just feels so much better. Anyways, I'll stop talking about that. Half-Life was a game that came out by a, a small company <laughs> at that, the time that you might have heard of now called Steam. That's right. Steam, that uh, video game marketplace. And Valve, right? I mean, Valve was the... I, wasn't I'm sorry. Valve the yeah, Valve, that, then, then they became they became Steam, right? That's, I'm sorry. You're, you're right. You're right. It, so it, it was Valve, yeah. and they had the picture of that guy with a valve in the back of his head. And then Correct. They, Correct. To, to make uh, online versions of half-life and other games based on half-life they created an online service called steam which became the massive marketplace it is today with all the controversy and everything else but half-life i did play in college it was a brilliant game and half-life 2 was the successor to that which i heard all kinds of amazing things about never actually played it myself until this month eric i've had it i've had a copy i've had the orange box i've downloaded a copy onto steam of all things uh, yeah, uh, and I've had it. I've owned it for years and years. I've never gotten around to playing it. That's crazy. I, I know I've played it, but I don't remember much about it. I remember a lot more about the original Half Life. I played that a lot. I beat the first Half Life, the 
there was a single per there was a single player version of Half Life. Um, well, it's mode ha- yeah, it's Half Life. It's Half Life, <laughs> yeah. And uh, that was awesome. And then Half Life Two, I I've, I know I played it, but I don't remember much about it to be honest. So the original Half Life was like this mind bending new experience where you go went from these fast arcade shooters. Um, <laughs> And kind of over the top stuff, and all of a sudden it became a legit story, uh, single player experience. Of course, the graphics and sound, and all that stuff was amazing. But what I loved about it, and what I thought was so groundbreaking, is how the game just started. Mm-hmm. It actually ended up saying Half Life like later. It was like a movie. It was actually the first time it felt like I was playing a movie. Uh, yeah. When you walk up to people, they talk, and the story is told by people you're talking to while you're still active. You're, the controller never leaves you. Um, it's told by your surroundings, pictures you see on the wall, um, uh, loudspeakers saying things about what's going on, you know, uh, but never directly. It's not narrated. It's it's told to you by what you're experiencing. And such a good storytelling game uh, that combines, you know, some shooting action uh, puzzles. Like you'd get into these situations where you have to push things, boxes or lift things or move things, uh, figure out how, what, what, tool you have your crowbar you got to break through wooden barriers to do certain things press buttons to unlock other things had fun puzzle elements that aren't too tricky um but basically you're you're gordon freeman you're this um scientist turned you know a very action, action movie hero. turned action, action hero. hero exactly right yeah. and uh i won't give you the whole thing because there's some cool twists in it but basically it's got uh, gordon freeman you turn into this bad butt i'll say bad butt um, <laughs> and ultimately you find out that these alien creatures are landing and just the, the enemy design is real unique. It's not just yeah. copied aliens from other movies. Um, some of the creatures and scenarios they, they pre- present are very cool. It had, um, one of the first times I saw physics based gameplay where, uh, you're picking up things, throwing things that blow up, take out walls. Um, when something happens, it affects other items in the room. It was super new and exciting and cool at the time. And Half-Life 2 just kind of one-upped all of that. Uh, the yeah. big thing in Half-Life 2 was you took, you were able to, you had this gun, you were able to pick up things with this, um, I forget what they call it, like this... Um, gra- it like a gravity gun, Gravity right? gun, yeah, gravity weapon. And you, I, See, I remember that part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you can pick up like boxes or things you find on the ground and like charge it up and then blast it at enemies and like take them out. Um, this is a fun and one thing. I always one thing I wanted to know is you can always tell Gordon Freeman is a scientist because he has glasses on. <laughs> See, it makes it relatable to me, Eric. Exactly. So we could be an action hero slash scientist. It won thirty nine, right? All I need to do is yeah. put on a white shirt, and that makes me a bad butt. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it says here it received acclaim for physics, animation, and sound. Came out in two thousand four. The original Half Life came out in ninety eight. So that's six years. So there's a big, a big technological gap between those. Um, there is. Won thirty nine Game of the Year awards, cited as one of the best games of all time. Uh, by twenty eleven, it had sold twenty or twelve million copies. Um. Anyways, and just like the original, there was all kinds of like episode episodes that came afterwards. The co- the first Half Life was cool because you'd play the orange game, which was Half Life. Then the blue one was Blue Shift, where you played the same world and the same story, but from the point of the security, like the police. Yeah. And then there was a, a another version, I think green, that you played from the perspective of the aliens. <laughs> uh, the whole thing was very cool. 
Uh, so I've been playing this. I kind of got sucked into it the last, uh, honestly, the last few days. I found this is a good excuse to play Half-Life 2 finally. I'm going to have yeah. to keep playing. I'm having a blast with it. Um, some of the sound effects are the same sounds they used in the first game. And I instantly remembered all of them. Just went like, ah, oh, yes. And if you heard it, you'd, you'd probably click back to it too. Like, yeah. Just when you try to use something, it, goes, it does this like, thing. Like these, all these little <laughs> noises that are so perfect. The sound design is awesome. The explosion, the animals, the, the stereo sound where you hear something off to your right and you turn, it freaks you out. Um, great game, known for, again, for starting out with a crowbar. You always start with a crowbar so you can break boxes and things and beat enemies in a, in a pinch. And like any good uh, FPS, you move on to a pistol and then get a shotgun to get out, you know, start building yep. your arsenal. All the good weapons. Yeah, yeah. So the, shot, was, the shotgun's always like the most satisfying, right? I love the shotgun <laughs> in almost any game. I just stick to it. In every game. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, it's funny you mentioned that. One of the games, and I'll, I'll just mention it now as an honorable mention. Uh, really, it's not that great of a game, but as a kid, I played it and I loved it. Um, but Redneck Rampage. <laughs> Yeah, we've talked about that once before on, oh, the, on the show, and I had never really played it. So I remember looking it up after we talked about it on the show, and it looks like a game I would really love to play. Yeah, and so and then of course Half Life Two was known for uh, basically recreating kind of the first Half Life style of gameplay in a new engine they called the Source Engine, and then the Source Engine started spreading around to all kinds of other games. Um, they they you know. Uh, trying to remember all the games. Counter-Strike would be the biggest one. I remember playing a ton of Counter-Strike based on the original Half-Life, and then when Half-Life 2 came out, they redid the original Counter-Strike in the new engine called Source, Counter-Strike Source, and everyone yeah. jumped on the new version of it. Even though it had a lot of the same maps and stuff, it just, the new engine felt so much better. Um, so I think a lot of the sound effects and stuff are for me playing that, too. <laughs> playing the, the Counter-Strike Source. Counter -Strike, I still play Counter-Strike to this day. Like, it's one of my go-to first-person shooter games on Steam because it plays great. And I play it all the time. Yeah, it's just, it's yeah. just great. And uh, so I did yep. play the Steam version of it. I put down Half-Life 2 on the PS2 because they have the orange box, which included a bunch of those games based on the Half-Life engine, Source engine. Yeah. Uh, so, but re I played it on Steam. So I played PC. Right on. That's a great pick. I, I, it's cool that the, the game you picked is a single player game. Like you can play it through and it's got a story mode and it goes all the way through. I think that's really cool because every one of mine is a multiplayer game. And that's where I'm going to start here. Um, so my pick for my very first one, this is the one I'm going to probably talk about the most because I have the most history with it. Um, the, and the game I picked was Unreal Tournament. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Unreal Tournament. If there was any game that I feel in my whole history of gaming that I was very, very good at, it would be Unreal Tournament. Like, I was the master of Unreal Tournament. I loved it. <laughs> I played it with all my friends. Um, I played it... So, at the time it came out in 1999, I was working at Prima Publishing. And we played it on the land there with everybody, like all the people in the games division, all the people in the IT, all the people in accounting. We all had computers that could run an Unreal Tournament and we would play together. And we got it. Now, this is on the PS2. I never played this. I played the PC version. Probably doesn't matter the picture. Yeah, of it I, I know you're talking about the PC. I just... Yep. Yeah. I'm talking about the PC version, but um, 
we we loved it so much that our IT director, my boss, like we set up a server out of using one of our old servers. We set up our own Unreal server inside of our company. I love it. <laughs> so that we could all join it and play it. Um, Unreal Tournament is basically a game where you're running around all these different... And, and I mean, this is going to be a common theme, but it's a game where you run around and you there are multiple game modes, um, including like a, Assault... Uh, Deathmatch, Capture the Flag, um, Domination, Last Man Standing, um, and te- Team Deathmatch. And you run around these these um, specifically built levels and that are made for these kind of uh, arena-style games, and you try to kill each other. It really is a simple formula, but you get on teams, and then it becomes this amazing game Um I, I, I can't say enough about this game. I love it so much that I played it probably every day for a year. And we would stay after we, after work, we would stay and play this game until like 9 p.m. and then all go home. <laughs> um, now, all, one of the cool things about the game is that the weapons are there's a story behind Unreal in, in that in the future like people were allowed to, it was basically like a, an arena was set up for people that made legalized, like murder legalized. And so there would be these huge arenas that would show up in these major cities. Let me, let me guess, was it for the criminals to like fight each other for freedom? I think it could be Something anybody. Like <laughs> I don't know if it was the criminals, but, um, but it was a more like a, almost like a, almost like a game show or something. But, the weapons were really cool. There was like, uh, there's this yellow one that I know showed up in the video not too long ago. There was like rocket launchers, enforcers. Uh, there was one called the Redeemer. Uh, Ripper shot like these razor blade discs that would bounce off of walls and stuff. And one of the cool things is like every weapon had a second mode, which was the second um, mouse button. Yeah. And so, like, um, for example, the rocket launcher, when you hit the main mouse button, it would fire like a rocket straight ahead. But if you hit the second button, it would fire a grenade that would then be a frag grenade that would explode and kill anybody in the in the area. But that right there on the screen right now is called the flat gun. That was one of the most satisfying ones. Mm-hmm. The flat gun would fire just it was like almost like the shotgun of like the shotgun. Yeah, it's a bunch of scrap metal. <laughs> bunch of scrap metal but then the second fire mode was those balls which explode like a grenade launcher um every weapon was so unique and wonderful and another really amazing element of this game was that and and since i was the systems administrator i had to update our our uh, unreal tournament server (laughs) you could install mods like there were these maps that users would make and um in these maps, you could adjust, and on any map, even the maps that were included in this, there were these things called mutators. And mutators were all these parameters that you could adjust, like um, one of the main mutators was gravity. So you could have, you could change gravity to either be realistic or like floaty, where you could like jump and jump for miles or whatever. Yeah. And so you can adjust all these mutators and then start a game on a server. And then like everyone would join and they would have to follow the mutators that you set for each level. Well, all these people made all these maps. And one of my favorite maps that we would play all the time, and I still remember it to this day, was a game room. It was a it was a giant room that had a pool table in it. Okay. And like an arcade machine and stuff. 
and you were little because you were your regular character, but the things were giant, like a pool table. <laughs> and the gravity mutator was set so that you could jump from one for piece of furniture to the other. Yeah. So you were like these little yeah. tiny, almost like toy figures jumping around. Just like always in like the air shooting down at people. Yeah. It was just amazing game. I had so much fun with this and it kind of blows my mind that it was made in 1999. That was so long ago. Cause this game is still playable and, and not long ago, maybe like five years ago, I downloaded it on steam and it didn't run right, right away. I had to, tweak a bunch of settings for my video card and stuff, mm-hmm. but I did eventually get it working. And I was amazed how many people still have servers running of this, so, like still running servers that you yeah. can connect to and play all with mods on there. Um, I, this of all first person shooter games in my whole history, this was the one I played the most. This is the one I loved. And I absolutely loved this game. When I, and I've talked about this in the past, but my, when my definition of retro, uh, Yep. I always talked about how, like, you know, where the style of games hasn't stopped kind of changing. They just got graphically better. You know, yeah. worlds got bigger, but the actual type of gameplay stopped being outside of, you know, it got past the point where if we, could, we couldn't think it, we couldn't make it kind of a thing. Yeah. And yep. this is a perfect example of that. This was out on the PlayStation 2. Um, I think at PlayStation 1, we still had some some technical limitations to what we could dream up. PlayStation 2, right. PlayStation 2 there's no gameplay no game that we've created since then that we couldn't do on the PlayStation 2, at least to a certain scale. Um, right. So I think a lot the of graphics that, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah or, the, or the size of the levels. And I think that's yeah. what was so cool about this era, and uh, I would love to see somebody make, and maybe I'm sure there are indie ones out there, but like a AAA game where they re- came back with the arena shooter, which ultimately is what like Battlefield and Call of Duty is nowadays, but the arena yeah. now is you know huge maps, and that's the selling point. But this fast, super fast, quick deathmatch gameplay that was just the thing back then, I'm yep. looking at this game, and I can't, I know, obviously, I know of Unreal Tournament, and of course, Unreal, like all these games, came out of a uh, you know the original Unreal, which is a first player game, uh, a single player game. Exactly. And then yep. I believe Unreal Two. Unreal Two came out, and then and Unreal then, Tournament, uh, right? Yep, and then Unreal Tournament Game of the Year Edition, which was different. It had a lot of different maps and weapons, and it came in an orange box. Unreal Tournament came in the blue box. <laughs> so and I still remember those because I bought the blue box one, and then when the Game of the Year, I bought it again and bought the the orange one so the reason i point that out is because quake was like the other game that was very very similar and absolute quake 3 arena so it was quake was 1 like, then it went quake 2 and then quake 3 again quake 3 yep. didn't even they even though they called it 3 there was no single player version it was just quake 3 it was this it was a tournament uh multiplayer deathmatch arena game exactly and that's what it was called quake 3 arena and it was only multiplayer yep and, and I, I loved that game too i loved it and that's the one I think I played the most just because, and I played it probably five years after it was a thing. I never played anything when it was new back then because I didn't have a PC that could run this stuff. Um, and the funny thing is it still holds up. Like, I mean, that exactly. is still a fun game to play. And yeah. so I think I played more of that game, but I honestly, and I could be wrong, but just looking at the gameplay, I mean, it looked like this felt. In fact, I think it had a flat gun also. I don't know if it's called a flat gun, but it had a flat gun. And yeah. it had two modes of fire, and it had these arenas, very similar. I mean... They were they were Chevy and Ford, you know. They were kind of two flavors of the same, same formula. kind of thing. No, um, you're absolutely right. Yep. So, anyways, yeah, it's very very cool pick. In fact, I'm, it's funny because I had Nintendo 64. Uh, this yeah. is going to sound funny because I know this game, this series is kind of scoffed at, but 
Same thing happened with Turok 1, Turok 2, and then Turok 3 was actually called Arena Wars. So oh. they did the exact same thing. <laughs> and it's funny because I played more Arena Wars than probably any other arena game because I had Nintendo 64 when that game was a thing. I'm, I, got oh, wow. it, I got it used for like 14 bucks or something from Funko Land, I'm sure, but I probably played yeah. more of that game, which I probably should have covered it. I've never, I've never covered that game on this show, but um, I had a blast playing just me versus the computer. I never actually played versus other humans. And the funny thing with Turok is that I tried to get into Turok 1, and I could not get into Turok that game. Turok 1 is rough. <laughs> it was rough. It was almost unplayable. And it, it was one of the games that really solidified my, uh, I guess, my dislike of the N64. Yeah, you, can't ju- you can't judge the N64 on that game. I was wrong because you and I, this is one thing the podcast has done for me, is I've gone back and we've played a number of other N64 games. And... I was wrong. I mean, I judged it on Turok and a couple of other games, which were really bad. And um, I've since found many, many good games on the N64, but Turok is not one of them. It was really, really bad. (laughs) It's rough. (laughs) As as Eric would say, woof. Yeah, woof. (laughs) (laughs) All right, my next game, and you're going to enjoy this one. I hope so, yeah. Have you heard of it? I've never heard of it. You haven't heard of it, okay? So let never me, heard of it. Okay, yeah. so I'm gonna go ahead and tell a little story because this is a game that came out in the 16-bit era, well, at least as far as I was concerned. And I remember seeing it on the Super Nintendo, but I never played it on the Super Nintendo. I, you would always see it on the rental shelf; it was always available because no one rented it. It was just sitting there. It looked right. weird. It looked obscure. I had no idea why it was ever made into a game. And I finally played it one day when a buddy of mine, uh, I think we were like hanging out at my parents' cabin, and he brought his Game Boy, and he had a copy of this game on the Game Boy. And I have never thought of it as a first-person shooter, but that's absolutely what it is. Huh. And this game is called Faceball 2000. Faceball. Faceball 2000. <laughs> now, I'm going to wait, wait for everybody who knows this game listening to the podcast to finish laughing before we talk about this game, but... Uh, quick bit of research. Quick bit of research. This game actually came out in 1987, Eric. A first-person oh, shooter wow. that came out in 1987 on the Atari ST platform, specifically. Wow. Yeah. Um, and the reason, but it wasn't called Faceball 2000, even though it was the same game. It was called Midi Maze. M I D I Midi Maze. Yeah. And oh. apparently, the re- it was called that because. Uh, it was way ahead of its time. They are basically making a trying to make a multiplayer game that used the MIDI ports of the Atari ST to allow yeah. to allow some controller functionality that otherwise it couldn't normally do. Um, something about like turning ninety degree turns or something. I don't know exactly how it worked, but uh, the point is the game five years later it came out on the Super Nintendo and uh, Game Boy. I think a year after that, I guess ninety one and ninety two respectively. So which platform did you play this on? So I played it on the Game Boy, so that's the version I'm going to cover. Awesome. And so, have you ever thought first-person shooter on my black-and-white Game Boy? No, not. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. So uh, after this ad finishes, you will see Faceball in all its glory. So here it is loading up. Bulletproof software. I remember seeing that lion with, like, the fish gills. Um, Weird game, but it is absolutely... A first-person shooter, but it is also a maze game. So essentially, what it is is, uh, and there's different modes of play. 
Um, and I, I would also say this is probably the first game that came up with the deathmatch concept again back in 1987 apparently. Wow. Uh, so basically, even the even the Game Boy version, you could use the link cables to link up to four Game Boys to play four player basically deathmatch baseball. Oh, that would be that would be sweet. And it wasn't appreciated back then. There you can go. You can choose Cyberscape or uh, Arena. Um. So the standard uh, single-player game is you're dropped into a maze, very much like a dungeon crawler. In fact, I think that's where the game started. A dungeon crawler with a maze. But the enemies are these kind of geometric shapes with faces on them. They could be smiley faces or neutral faces or sad faces. That first level is super short, by the way. Here, I'll I'll scooch forward. I can see that was pretty straightforward there. (laughs) Um, So it's just, you know, left and right, forward and back. So if you want to... dodge of a bullet that someone shoots at you you have to do the whole wolfenstein thing where you press kind of back into an angle and kind of back yourself out of the way yeah uh, strafe was not a thing yet um but you're going through these mazes trying to kill enough enemies to get yourself through the next door and uh, escape the level and go to the next level that's the the maze part of it each enemy is a different shape i think it starts with these cylinders that don't shoot back and eventually you get to the balls uh which face ball uh, they all have faces on them, and they start start, start shooting at you. They eventually become um, like cones that have faces on them that shoot at you faster, or these diamond shapes that shoot at you. Um, now, some of these guys look like almost like Pac-Man ghosts, like they're shaped like uh, yeah. upside, like like bullets sitting on their end. And they it, just kind of look like Pac-Man ghosts almost, with faces on them. With faces on them. And it's funny because when you shoot, you don't have a gun in front of you or anything. When you shoot, uh, just a big circle that covers the, like most of your field of vision just kind of starts in front of you and slowly makes its way into the distance. There you, yeah. can, you can check the map at any time to see where you've been. Uh, yeah, that's cool. I like games where you can look at the map. Um, and then uh, it shows you how many level or how many guys are in the level that you have to kill to move on to the next. You get money, which I think is your score. Uh, there's a timer that gives you a bonus for time. And each of these shapes has a name. So, like, the first guy that doesn't shoot back at you is actually called a shoot me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's a timer up there, Eric. Look, 500 seconds. If you can't beat one of these levels in 500 seconds, I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) So I'm covering the Game Boy version, but let me go ahead and hop over to uh, the Atari ST or Super Nintendo. Let me do the mini maze. Let me me show you this, because mini maze... I think it's pretty impressive, and, and you have an ST. I do not have one yet. I still want to get one of those in my collection, but I, this seems like it'd be a really cool game to, to load up on the Atari ST. I'm, I'm surprised it's not more popular than, than and it try is. To link them with, try to link them with the MIDI, ca- MIDI port. That would be fun. I know i got some MIDI cables around here somewhere. Yeah, so look how it looks in here. Now, it does. It has to have to do that small screen thing that, they, that the old uh, Amiga and Atari had to do for first-person shooters, but look how smooth yeah. it is compared. It is, yeah. Um, I mean, it looks like a pretty legit shooter on the Atari ST. Uh, but what's cool is that even though they do the small screen thing, it's not just a small screen in the middle of your big screen. They put a GUI around it that has all kinds of information, including this little uh, musical tref, uh, what do you call it, music uh, tref cliff up to up here yeah. where the little... So as you shoot things, it, it adds... Yeah, treble cliff. It adds faces to that, little musical notes, and I think it adjusts, it, uh, adjusts the music in the game as well. Um, <laughs> that's pretty cool i've heard of this on the st uh, i think peter fletcher on uh twitter that i follow i think he ran this at a uh computer like a retro okay convention and he had a couple of sts that he 
connected with a MIDI cable and played this, if I remember right. So I, I have heard of this and I've seen this before, but I never saw it on the Game Boy. That, the Game Boy version is really interesting. I mean, that is pretty cool. And then I'll put the, just for the fun of it, rounded out, I'll put a face ball for the Super Nintendo and you'll see that version, which I think is really the most popular version of this game considering that it's on the Super Nintendo. Um, but I would say it still runs as good, if not better, on the uh, on the Atari ST, honestly. You know. It runs better on the ST, but there's more screen real estate on the Super Nintendo. Not a ton. Like, it's still it pretty is, small. It's still pretty small, but the and and yeah, it is very choppy. Like the frame rate's not very good. <laughs> but what's cool about this one is you can see your your speed, your armor, and your shots. It kind of gives you more usable information. That, but anyway, for a game that came out in long story short, 1987, with deathmatch and a first-person shooter, years before Wolfenstein 3D came out and really made the genre. A popular thing pretty 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 impressive so that's why it's a good game i like it very cool i think it's impressive i didn't know that any first person shooter existed on the game boy so that's pretty cool yeah so my next one is uh another game that i was i i mean i'm not bragging but i was really good at (laughs) (laughs) and i loved this game so much it's called most people know it as tribes but it's a a full name is star siege tribes and if you yeah while you're pulling up a video for us to look at cody um because that's going to be important this game was the first first person shooter that i played where the maps are enormous okay i mean they are enormous so you have these bases in the middle of these fields i'm going to pause you real quick yeah just the fact that it started with a dynamics a sierra company logo excites me i loved that logo it made me excited Oh, yeah, absolutely. Quality was happening. Quality is happening, yes. And and I will say that I've tried to play subsequent Tribes because Tribes 2 came out and a bunch of ones after. They all pale in comparison to this original one. So in this game, you pick a player and you can pick it, you know, whether it's a male or female and the armor types and all that kind of stuff. But you basically... um, are set on these giant fields and the best the best version of this game now this game came out in 1998 so it still fits into my 20 year or older game okay um it basically sets up these games that are um i think there was there were like deathmatch style games but the best one on this game was capture the flag um and capture the flag there were these giant bases that stood on stilts and and this is just all from memory. I haven't played this recently or anything like this. But you have these enormous maps where there are hills, like green hills. And you have the second mouse button is a jetpack. And so you are flying, literally flying around these giant levels with your teammates trying to capture the flag and then bringing them back to your base. Now, in your base, you can set up turrets. You you go to these stations where they're like shops, and you can buy turrets. You can buy like uh, additional weapons, uh, all these different things in these shops. And these shops kind of look like this. It's hard to explain. You walk up to it. It opens up. It shows a menu. You pick what you want, and then the, it closes. And if you're carrying a turret, you take it to wherever you want, and you place the turret. And you're basically trying to 
protect your flag. So you, when you're playing multiplayer in this game, you're on a team and you have players, see those little things, those are shops okay. inside of the base. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to protect your flag while you, so you have defensive players and then your offensive players use this map to find the other base, go and get the flag. Now, once you go into the other enemy, the, the enemy's base and get their flag, you still have this huge terrain you have to navigate to get back to your flag to, to get a point. Um, now, when you are traversing between bases, and which you know to scale is probably like a mile or two, you can run up and down these hills and you can use your jetpack. But there was this glitch in the game that they kept in the game called skiing. Okay. Like, like in the Olympics, like skiing, where if you landed on a downslope, you could ski down that downslope. You would just slide down it. And then while your, your jetpack is an infinite, see that blue bar up in the left, left uh, top corner? Yeah. That blue bar controls your jetpack. So you can run out of mojo in your jetpack and then you have to relax let it fill back up and then you can do it again. But you could use this thing called skiing, which moved you very fast across the terrain by hitting a downhill slope. While it filled the jetpack back up. Yeah. While your jetpack is filling back up, but you were moving so fast that it was hard for enemies to hit you with their guns. (laughs) So basically this is a giant, awesome capture the flag style game. And this is a game that I will tell you, I never played at work. I only played this at home with friends. And I, I, I completely forgot about this game until maybe about a year ago when someone had mentioned it and I went and looked up these videos and then it all flooded back into my memory. Like I <laughs> absolutely loved this game. I wouldn't say I was, I was the best at it, but I was really pretty good. I got pretty good at it. There are all sorts of weapons like sniper rifles and these disc style um, um, games, explosives. Um, but the 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 real shtick behind this game is the huge maps and and the capture the flag mode. I mean, everybody played that, and so it, it's just so much fun setting it. Like if even if you were kind of selected, this is one of those games when it didn't have built in voice. You had to get these second, like, uh, third-party voice things on your PC so that you could talk like to each other. Like a program and open ahead of time? That's exactly it. And then that was big in the, in the late 90s was that most of these games didn't include voice, but you, you got these, like, third-party add-ons to get voice. And even if you were, like, selected to be on defense, there was so much to do on defense, like setting up turrets strategically sitting and waiting in these little hiding areas for people to come in and you know you'd see them land with their jetpacks and then you as soon as you saw them land you'd jump out of your hiding place and blast them um so even on defense which is usually a bummer it was um it was still a lot of fun in this game to be either on defense or offense going and trying to get the flag and bringing it back um there's the shop that i was telling you about like you walk up to it and then you can pick different things um <laughs> I this game was a it was a blast. Every night when I came home from work, I would launch this game and play it with all the friends that I had. We would this was one of the games that you would constantly like be upgrading your video card so that you could gotcha. smoother frame rate and stuff. Even though like like you can see it's not that impressive to to these standards, but but it's such a big map that to make that work back then, yeah. Yep, and such a big map. So, and, and the funny thing is, if your graphic card sucked, 
you had this fog of war which would creep in so you couldn't see as far yeah so like if you had a weak video card you would be at a complete disadvantage in this game yeah it would be you know you could see the fog of war on this one which isn't bad oh yeah he's he's pretty high up when you had a crappy video card your fog of war was like way back this game was a monster for multiplayer because i think if i remember right you could have 32 players in this game at one time. Yeah, this is like when it was starting to become past the arena thing, starting to become what uh, first person shooters are today. Yeah. Like massive, like massive multiplayer. Like you, like 32 players in that era was like ridiculous. I mean, so many players. See, um, it's, it's funny to me because I've always, and I'm not, again, not judging, just I'm different, but I've yeah. always loved the first-person experiences, and the the kind of uh, outliers would be those arena shooters, which I found yeah. which I found fun. Once it started getting to this, I lost interest in multiplayer. So I remember hearing great things about Tribes, and it was huge for a while. It was, and I remember watching video. I'm like, it just looks sparse and boring. Like, but I understand if you had that many people playing, it would be it'd be awesome. But that's kind of where I lost my interest in in multiplayer first-person shooters is probably around this time. Like when the maps got too big so to where it wasn't as like like frantic. Yeah, it became yeah, it, it became multiplayer or nothing. Like like Tribes yeah. didn't even have a single player version, did it? No. Yeah, it was just multiplayer. And then I, I had didn't have a PC that could run it and I probably didn't have an internet internet connection that could handle it like it just became unattainable and looked boring from afar. But I'm sure if I had the the setup you did, including friends to play it, it would probably have been a blast. Yeah. So. Uh, this is what this is. I still like just watching this video or play. I still brings a smile to my face. Like I remember these you remember long this level? bridges. Yeah, these long bridges uh, between bases. That those were the choke points like trying to get on this bridge and now there's a bunch of people shooting at me and they, they would set up turrets on there. And like, it was, it was, God, this game was just so great. <laughs> I, I, I do love this game. So star siege tribes. Cool. I'm not even That's sure cool. if it's playable anymore, if there's any server set up, oh, but, I'm sure steam's got it. I'm sure Yeah, they, they came up with, like I said, tribes two and a bunch of, a bunch of sequels. None of them ever captured my interest beyond the first one star 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 siege tribes so anyway that's it awesome yeah i love i love living it vicariously through your explanation of it (laughs) (laughs) in fact i'm sure it was a game that i downloaded once i went to uh, college on their internet and then tried to run it and realized it was multiplayer and just lost interest but yeah i was playing half-life at that time yep i could Uh, understand that my third and final game i've talked about fairly recently on the show but I have to put it on here, and it is yet another PC game. So realistically, I only talked about one game that wasn't a PC game, and you talked about three that were. So we went all PC. That's all right. Pretty much. That's, That's where right. the FPS lives for me. Well, next time, maybe I think we should do um, a you know, console. Maybe in a year or so, we'll do, yeah, console-specific uh, 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 first-person shooter games. Because I can think of, like, on the PlayStation, Killzone, or um, obviously Halo. Or, uh, there was one called like Black, right? Like on PS2 or Oh, I remember that. I it, yeah, yeah. Yep. There was one called Black. Yeah, I mean there are great console ones. I like you and Golden I would just or Perfect Dark. Goldeneye and Perfect Dark, but they're not the ideal platform for me to play um to play FPSs, but 
it would be an interesting ba- uh, six good games. So we should do that in the future. Yeah, you get sure. more interesting games as well. But So yeah. what I wanted to pick out is a game that I've talked about already on the show, but if you haven't listened to every episode we put out, which <laughs> why wouldn't you have? Um, <laughs> there's been a game released fairly recently. I believe it was released in, was it 2000? Let me, let me pull it up here. And so basically I, I would have to say probably my favorite uh, first-person shooter of all time, just historically, not saying it's the best, but favorite to me is Duke Nukem. I want to say that's a game I've probably played yeah. every five years since it came out and loved it every time. Uh, I loved that it was shareware and you could play the first episode for free and you had to pay for the other two. And I just played the first episode over and over again until recently when I finally played <laughs> through all three episodes. Yeah, um, that's awesome. So anyways, it, it you know, it's a, it's a game about the chauvinistic, super macho, uh, What's the word I want to look for? Uh, DB? I don't want uh, a bag of D. I don't want to. Try, try to I'm trying to be family friendly here, but. Uh, D bag? Yes, exactly. Um, 2019, this came out. 2019. Right. So, anyways, uh, not, 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 not Duke Nukem, but. So, anyways, yeah. it, and it was just, it was based on the 3D, Elm, 3D Realms engine. Um, and 3D Realms became. Oh, shoot. It was Apogee, then it became 3D Realms when they went to 3D, and now it's... Oh, shoot, what's the name of the company now? Hold on, this is important. I'm, I'm going to look it up. 3D Realms is... Yeah. No, it's a company you're going to be like, oh... Um, Gearbox? 3D Realms... Well, Embracer Group now owns 3D Realms and Gearbox. Man, what did they become? Well, they used to be Apogee, they became 3D Realms. Anyways... Okay. Um, I remember actually, yeah. And it was this game about this guy going through and and blowing up aliens and making crass, ridiculous, super machismo comments. Uh, There would be um, female entertainers in, like, the bars in these games that you could, like, for no reason whatsoever, pay money to, and then they'd provide a show just because they could. Um, And then if you wanted to, you could blow them away with a shotgun anyways. Um, (laughs) I mean, just over-the-top ridiculous alien invasion i don't know what it was about the game but i just loved it i always loved it um you know it was definitely that kind of typical um you know find the blue key to open the blue door so that you can find the yellow key to open the yellow door and then find the red key to open the red door and then beat the level uh but it was i believe the big thing about their technology their with their uh their what did they call the engine? The 3D Realms engine, whatever it was called, was that they could do levels on top of levels, which okay. which Doom couldn't do. Um, Doom, you know, if you were upstairs, you were upstairs above a big old wall of granite. There was nothing below you. Where this was like, you could have, you know, you could be underneath something, then go upstairs on top of where you just were, which was like a big deal, I guess, technology wise, at the time. Uh, but it was also still in the in that in that era where. It wasn't th- true 3D. Let the sprites were still 2D sprites that, no matter where you were in the room, when you turned around and looked at it, it was that same. You always they were always front facing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, they were either front facing towards you or completely back facing away from you. They were never. There's no in between. You know. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, using that exact same engine, you know, 25 years later or whatever, 
3D Realms, uh, who reacquired their name 3D Realms, released a new version of the game, a whole new game based on that engine, with a female protagonist who is also crass and um, super, uh, I, I can't say the word machismo because she's female, so super uh, overly confident and uh, aggressive. Cocky. Yeah, cocky. Like cocky. There you go, cocky. That's the word you're looking for. Uh, anyways, it's called Iron Fury. And my goodness, gameplay-wise, this is better than Duke Nukem. Her name is Shelly. <laughs> um, it's it's more Duke Nukem, but higher res. Although there is an option, you can press a button and go back to like the old res motion, yeah. like kind of old the, the way Duke Nukem used to be. Um, I like the video. I like the, the graphics here, like in this video. I mean, these graphics look amazing. But it's still the exact same engine, so the the. Even though yeah. the graphics look amazing, they're more high res. They're still that two D. No matter where you're on the room, they're either facing you or they're facing away from you. Uh, this they just look very smooth. Like it, it's like it, they took the same graphics and just made it smoother. Well, and actually, what we're looking at right now, this is Ion Fury. But the video we just watched here on Steam was for I. Uh, I didn't even know about this Ion Fury Aftershock, which apparently is the second version of the game. So that's news to me. Oh, okay, that should have been wow. in our news section, Eric. Exactly. Uh, so I've been, I'm a little past halfway in this game. I've probably put five hours into it, and I yeah. want to get back to it. But, yeah, it's it's just as fun as the original, more modernized. So when you play it, it feels like you when you first played the original Duke Nukem. This is how it feels now. Of course, going back to the original Duke seems archaic when you actually go back there. But uh, it makes me relive that experience, and it's a brand-new game. Uh I think full class on Steam is twenty four ninety nine, but at regular glows and sale for like half of that. Definitely worth a pickup. Definitely going to want to play it uh, with a keyboard and mouse. Definitely. So that that would this would be a PC <laughs> Steam game for sure. You wouldn't want to wait for this to come out on Switch or anything like that. Honestly, it'd probably play all right on those, but I I mean, well, I would I, want a keyboard. I would want it. Yeah. Yeah. Ion Fury, and then fun fact, which I've mentioned on the show, originally the game was going to be called Ion Maiden. Yeah. As a play on words for the Iron Maiden, the band, yeah. uh, and the band basically threatened to sue, and they had to change it to Ion Fury, which is a bummer. So all you huge Iron Maiden fans out there. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. They're killing the vibe. <laughs> yeah, killing the vibe. And of course, like the original Duke Nukem, you can walk up to like bathroom, like toilets and use them. Although, <laughs> it's just a sound effect, and you see the toilet flush. It's not, you know, risque or anything, but... And just silly things you can interact with, can ha- interact with, and have fun. Super cool game. It looks great. I should I should pick this up, and it's not like it's expensive either. I mean, it's like twenty four ninety nine on Steam, and I'm sure it goes on sale. It goes on sale well. like heavy discount regularly. Yeah, I'm gonna add it to my wish list. Now I will cool. again another uh, <clears throat> another uh, honorable mention. There's another game that I haven't played yet, um, but I did purchase it and i have it in my in my backlog it's called dusk yeah and it was it's basically i don't know if it's built on on the the, uh, quake engine or not but basically it's like a quake okay in style and everything but it's a new a new quake that was released i think in 2020 so cool uh and ion fury by the way is on the nintendo switch oh wow so there you go. The funny thing for me is like, I think I've told the story many, many times. My gaming PC is a pretty decent one. It's not, not great, but it's a decent one, but it's the family computer too. So yeah. like it's downstairs and everyone can access it. So it's not like a very convenient gaming platform for me. So, um, 
I, I, I like getting games on Switch. So, but the problem is that that's a first-person shooter, which I don't usually play on the Switch very much. So, that's something I'm going to have to think about. And you have to pay the Switch tax. It, the Switch tax, because exactly. everything's more expensive on the Switch. Yep. So, this last game, I, I, I kind of probably should have led with this one, but no, it's perfect. Team, For- Team Fortress Classic. Um, have you played this one? I played very little of it back in the day, and I'm sure you'll go into why. Yeah. So. Team Fortress Classic, I'm bringing up because I did play it. I didn't play it a lot. And if you go on uh, the internet, you will find two camps. There are people that do not like this game because it has a lot of glitches. It's rough around the edges. I mean, it's not the perfect. It's not a perfect FPS for sure. And then there are people that love this game because they understand it. it it introduced a lot of concepts that have made it into modern games. It was kind of a trendsetter. Um, it did a lot of things that are very interesting. Um, I did play it and I did very much enjoy it. Probably not for as big of a window as tribes or Unreal tournament, but I played this for probably a good six months with friends and, and enjoyed my time with it. So team fortress classic and, and listen, there's still versions of team fortress even today. Like, there have been like Team Fortress 2 and a bunch of like additions to this game. Um, it just keeps going on and on. But this was made, uh, the, the PC version was made in 1999. Um, it is a game by Valve. So the, the makers of Half-Life 2 and Half-Life. Um, it, the original one was a mod for the first Quake game. Um, that was, but a mod, was a mod for Half-Life. Yeah, exactly. So, well, I mean, this was... The first one, the, not this one, okay. not classic, but the very first one was a mod of Quake, and then they huh. ended up using the engine bump for Half Life to make the this version. Oh, Team okay, Fortress I did not know that. Yep, um, and it was originally released April nineteen ninety nine. Now, again, this is just a first person shooter. It is built around teams, like working together to get a goal, like capture the flag or whatever. But the thing that is most unique about this game is it introduced classes. And classes are like, um, for instance, you could be a scout, which is the fastest class in the game, but it's unable to deal much damage in return, right? And then there's the sniper class, which is exactly what it says. You, you're a sniper and you can shoot from far away, but up close combat, you don't have a lot and you don't have heavy armor. Um, the soldier class is a lot slower than snipers and scouts, but... They have better armor. So basically, there's kind of this rock, paper, scissor of like all these different positions. But it, this this thing had so many classes. Scout, sniper, soldier, demo man, which specialized in I like, explosives. I like being the demo man when I was playing this. Yeah, demo man was fun. I love that too. Because the secondary weapon was a grenade. So you not only could set up these big explosions, but you could actually play with grenades. So I remember loving being the demo man too. Um, there's the medic, which is equipped with a nail gun, but and concussion grenades, but also has a medical kit and can go around and heal people. Heavy weapons class, pyro, which was he had a flamethrower, if you remember. Um, spy class was a dude which could, when he got shot, he didn't. Well, I'm sorry, he could pretend like he got shot. So he could lay down like he was dead. Right. <laughs> and someone would run past and then he would just get up and shoot the guy. Um, 
the engineer class could build like turrets and and weapons and stuff and he would sit there and you'd have to cover him while he constructed these things but they were very powerful little turrets and weapons and you, you can see him there um so this game was one of the first ones to introduce classes so and the funny thing is this game had a lot of problems in balance like everyone wanted to be like the soldier because he, he he was heavily armored or the demo man because he could set up all these elaborate explosive traps. No one wants um, to be the spy. <laughs> yeah. And then people could, a lot of people wanted to be a spy. So there wasn't, this game wasn't terribly balanced, but it did introduce a lot of really fun and unique kind of capture the flag elements. Um, so again, I didn't play this game a ton, but I did enjoy the time I, I played it, but once people kind of, they never went back and kind of nerfed this game, which if you're not familiar with the term nerfing, <laughs> it's basically when, when a game comes out and then it, after the fact, it's realized that one particular character or player or weapon or condition is too powerful for the game. And so everyone starts to use that one. Nowadays, because of the internet and updates and stuff, you can just go back and nerf your game. You could be like, okay, well, I'm taking the bazooka and I'm lowering it from doing 400 damage to, you know, 350 because it's too powerful. Back then, you didn't really nerf things. They just were the way they were. Yeah. So uh, this game came out and, like, it was found that, and I don't remember which classes, but some classes were just too powerful. So everyone wanted to be a particular class. And it kind of ruined the game after... I think that's probably why I didn't play it for that big of a window. But this game has a lot of history, a lot of rich history in in really a lot of games that came out afterwards modeled their dynamics behind this game. So I don't know if you have any memories of this game, but... No, I, I only played it for... I want to say I tried to play it a couple of days because, I, again, I had that orange box... Yeah. Um, or whatever it was, and I played some Team Fortress, but I ended up finding Counter-Strike, and that's the one I really stuck to. Um, yeah. But again, a big part of it, I, I'm sure, would be if I actually was playing with people I knew where, you know, for whatever reason with Counter-Strike, I didn't feel like I had to, but with this game, I think you kind of need that. You need to be able to, like, rib the guy next to you who you just killed or, you know. Right. So, that's my last game. Six good FPS games, Eric. And I think they were all really good. I think uh, I, I, I'm i pretty intrigued by that Game Boy game. I might have to load <laughs> that one and try to play it. And Iron Fury, I'm going to definitely grab that because why not? I mean, it's a Switch, you know, I'm going to check out the Switch version and see if it's even somewhat playable and maybe get it there. Who knows? I mean, I played all of uh, Duke Nukem. They came out with the Duke Nukem and it went on sale for like five bucks where you have all three episodes of Duke Nukem on the Switch and I played through all three episodes. I it, it worked fine, so this would be yeah. the same engine, so I'm sure it would yeah. work fine. Cool. And that is an episode of Pixel Gaiden. Yay! Boop, boop. Uh, all right, Eric, next episode is episode 77. That's right, 77. we've done 77 of these. Who would have thought? Who would have thunk it? Um, we're going to have more great information about how to shoot bullets through fiber cables. Exactly. Because we're Americans, pew pew. Um, now we'll be catching up with Tim. He'll be joining us. I've got a sweet game show for you guys. We may or may not see the return of, uh, <laughs> now I'm forgetting the name of it. What's your game show, Eric? Uh, 
Combo breaker. Combo breaker. We may or may not see the return of combo breaker. Wow, I'm glad to see that it's catching on. It's catching on. Totally stole that one from you, but I'm I'm going to use that format. I like it. Uh, we're going to go ahead and Cody's Cody's corner next next month potentially if I can think of something to talk about. Um, <laughs> I, I will. I'll, I'll think of something to talk about. And uh, of course, we'll be catching up and we'll be talking about a battle of the systems between a couple of great. Uh, another hint here, Eric. A great handheld uh, following block puzzle games that are heavily music inspired. So, exactly. We hope to see you guys on February twenty eighth, my birthday. Exactly. And one more thing. Me. Oh. One more thing. If you're thinking about recapping your device, don't do it. Send it to Retro Rewind. Retro they will Rewind. Recap it for you, and it will be uh, better than you could do it. And I'm not making fun of anyone out there. I'm just saying you don't want to take that rare item and screw <laughs> it up. So send it to send it to Frank. He'll do it on the cheap, but he'll do an expert job on it. Send it back to you really quickly, and it will be recapped. Frank at RetroRewind, use the code PG10, get 10% off of a price that's already ridiculously low. So you can't go wrong. It's a win-win situation. And Eric, I forgot to mention, and we'll definitely have to push on the next episode, but we are giving away $25 of Frank's money. That's right. On the Pixel Gaiden podcast. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to spin a wheel, metaphorically. uh, Yeah. If you are a patron of the Pixel Guide and Co- Podcast, on March 5th, we will take the entire Patreon subscriber list. We were going to choose one, and I'm not joking, it truly at random. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we will reach out to you to send you a $25 gift card to RetroRewind.ca. So, if you are not a Patreon subscriber, we'd love for you to join. Uh, yeah. Go ahead and hop on there and... Uh, you have time. You have time to hop on there, and you'll be entered into the contest to get 25 bucks of Commodore or Coco kick-butt stuff. Exactly. And it, the first person to send us $500 cash will get the $25 gift certificate. I guarantee it. Ooh, that's a fun little uh, caveat you threw in there. I like it, though. <laughs> All right, so I'm if you kidding. send us $500 cash... <laughs> well, no, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's, here's, the, here's the deal, Eric. If you send us $500 cash, we will buy you... Yeah. A $25 gift certificate. We'll get another one involved, you know? Why not? We'll do it. I will will do that. We'll do it. And we'll even announce your name on the show. (laughs) Sure, there we go. Uh, It'll it'll change the name of the Combo Breaker game to whatever your name is. So if you're uh, Richard, I'll be Richard Breaker. Josh Malone. Get the batteries out. Cool. Thank you guys for listening to our ridiculous show. Thanks for having fun with us. Thanks for playing retro video games. Good night, and remember, it's dangerous dangerous to go go alone. (laughs) Thank you again for listening. You can find episode information and show notes online at pixelguiden.com. Please follow us on Twitter at pixel underscore guiden. And you can also follow Eric at the project. That's D-U-H project. You can also follow Cody on Twitter at Oddball49. That's O-D-D-B-A-1149. You can reach Tim Drew as well on Twitter at Sanction. That's S-A-N-X-I-O-N. If you are interested in supporting the show financially, please join us at our Patreon account. That's patreon.com forward slash pixelguiden. Please leave a review to help get our podcast listed higher up on the show rankings. 
We would also love to hear from you with any comments or input. So hit us up on our email at podcast at pixelguiden.com. 